The wrestling war is so cold, it's killing the ratings of the Rock sitcom. And in the midst of this life-or-death promotional struggle we see today on this program, we will answer a burning question. Have I ever worked in Wyoming? And joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, he's the Artemis Gordon to my James West, Cowboy Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. It may be your show, but this is my house. <laughs> now, they got to they gotta at least build two houses, one for the girls and one for the guys. Because you can't have these girls and guys cohabitating, can you? Well, that's immoral and unethical and illegal and even fattening for everybody to be living in that house and owning the house. So if you were Bray Wyatt and you met with Tony, would you pitch, and then I come in as a big bad wolf and I blow down all the houses? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do that voice again. You're doing it good now. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it again like that. You got to give me something to say. Well. I've heard him do so many promos, I can't repeat any of them. I have no idea what he said in any of them. No, there is no quote that comes out of it, but boy, after he's, it's over with, you don't have a fucking clue what he said, but goddamn. It was interesting the way he said it. Ah, it's going to be one of those programs. Yes. That was the interesting today. portion of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that was it. It's going downhill from here. I am dismayed, disgusted, disenchanted, and disenfranchised over all of the events of the last week, I'll have you know, both wrestling and otherwise. Right now, I'm sitting here looking out my window. What is that? It's, it's the middle of November, approximately. Goddamn, we just changed the clocks last week, didn't we? And I'm looking at two inches of snow out on my back deck. It was 80 degrees here on Wednesday. We had an inch of rain on Friday after it hadn't rained significantly in over two months. And Saturday a.m., it's 30 degrees and two inches of snow. We got snow in Louisville, Kentucky, before they did in Buffalo, New York, which is not fair at all. Just not fair. And it's freezing out there. And of course... Let Buffalo have it. They have little else. Well, that's true. And I guess they'll get it eventually. And they'll get it good. But this morning, Harley Quinn, I wasn't singing the peeing song this morning. I was encouraging her to empty her little bladder and evacuate her bowels as quickly as she possibly because the fucking snow was coming down and the wind was a-blowing and the wolves were at the door, according to Bray Wyatt. And she's just taking her merry old little time because she loves the snow out there. And I was not singing, here we come, going out to pee. We get Because there weren't any squirrels out. We weren't meeting any of them squirrels because they had the good sense to stay inside their little condominiums up in my maple trees what were you gonna say the squirrels are what triggers the singing 
Well, no, that's the part of this, the second line there. We get the funniest looks from all the squirrels we see. We didn't see no squirrels. So you're true to the song. If you don't see any squirrels, you won't, you'll stop at that line? Well, I was too cold to sing anyway, is what I'm <laughs> saying to you. And it wasn't applicable because it wasn't a fucking nice sunny day with birds chirping and squirrels gambling about. The G-A-M-B-O-L version of gambling, frolicking, if you will. No, none of that was happening. The, the snow was coming down sideways, hitting me in the face like little razor blades. I had two coats on. My fingers, I haven't taken her out in 30 minutes. My fingers are still cold. I'll have you. I'm sitting here in a, in a coat. And, and I just found yesterday after afternoon, just finalized the deal for my leaf removal service. A fine young man owns his own landscaping service. Had come over here and assured me he can take care of this mess as soon as the snow melts so you can see the leaves again. And it's flu season, you know, while we're on it. So now we got to deal with a resurgence in COVID because of the inclement weather and people's shoddy personal grooming and hygiene habits. We got the flu season. They got that respiratory virus. And, all, and by the way, just ladies and gentlemen, just if Brian Last does not contribute his fair share to this program today, he's already given me several excuses and claim, well, my, my voice is still a little rough today. You know, I've had the COVID. To which you said, me too. Everything me too. I said that was my excuse, you said me too. Well, because I had them first and I'm older. <laughs> and I'm cold and I work with children. <laughs> No, that's the one thing I don't work with. I don't work with children, fortunately. But how's that muffin? But the muffin is good. I'll tell you, it's nothing till you're down on one of these muffins. But anyway, it's the flu season. It's it's sickliness. Hospitals are now being overrun again. I saw it on the news. And you know, last week we went to vote Tuesday morning, and it was good weather outside on two per perfect weather in the seventies and everything. But we've been seeing on the news people reminding you, get your flu shot if you're a senior citizen, if you're particularly vulnerable. Make sure you get your vaccine up to date so that you can shrug it off like Brian Last did there. He shrugged the COVID right off with only a bit of malingering voice issues so he can sit back and laze around while I do all the work here. But they're reminding these, especially the elderly. We went to vote, and it's a little church down the road here there's never anybody in there and and of course stace and i both feel uncomfortable walking into a church we feel like something should spontaneously combust catch on fire lightning bolts something should happen from one direction or another up or down i'm not sure which but we didn't have to go in the the actual official part of the church it's like the lobby area and like I said, there's never anybody in there, but this particular day, we've gone in there right as the, that travel van, it looks like a Hertz rental car van at the airport, except it's from the senior living center here down the road. And the seniors have come to vote. And we walk in there and it, the, the lobby of this little church is not as big as the office that I'm sitting in in my home right now, right? But there's at least 25 people in this room and Stace and I are the only one wearing masks because I knew there'd be a lot of elderly people and a lot of Republicans in this area over there 
So we're the only ones wearing masks. At next to St- after Stacy, I am the youngest person in this room, Brad. The average age is dead. This is literally the waiting room for grim death. These there's walkers, there's wheelchairs. The election workers are literally turning to dust before my eyes, and nobody's wearing a mask in this in tight enclosed. It's it's a goddamn petri dish for fucking terminal illness. So. There's a line because what they've got is they've, we used to vote down at the fire department and there's plenty of room at the fire department. You know, those fire engines, it takes a little space to park those bad boys and they had big rooms and everything. And they had long tables you could sit down at, or they had the booth you could go in. Well, you know, you're supposed to remember back in the old days, Brian, how old are you? Do you remember when I remember going to my, with my mom to vote? Where she, wherever we went, I can't remember back then, but she would actually go into a booth and pull a curtain behind her, and I'd get to go in too. And it was like, goddamn, this is fun, right? And she's punching these buttons on this machine, and it all looked terribly official and complicated and adult, and this shit you get to do when you're grown up. And then she slides the curtain back so nobody can see what she's done, right? That's the secret ballot. Well, what they had here at the at the Discount Baptist Church was they had these little round, not even size of a card table, just these little round tables, like you might see at a banquet thing, little, little accent tables. And they've taken cardboard dividers, and they've divided these little round tables up into like four pie slices. If you can, and the pie slices are literally like a foot and a half wide at their widest. And if you sit down at this table, as all these elderly people are doing, standing in line, waiting to sit down at this table to mark their ballots in secret while they're sitting two feet away from the person next to them behind a little cardboard divider that somebody could just look over. Oh, you're voting for George, eh? What the fuck? But they're they're lined up like it's this is goddamn. We're going into this cone of silence and we're going to cast a secret ballot. Well, because Stace has the bad back. She said, I've got the bad back. So oh, you can sit here, honey. And, and she's sitting on the side and filling out her thing while I'm in the line. Well, I've got a pen. And I thought, why am I going to stand in line to wait for however long to get to this tiny little table to sit down with a bunch of strangers that are breathing on me that are going to be right next to me seeing what I'm writing anyway? And it's not like... It's a secret who I'm going to vote for. And so I take the pen and I just kind of put the fucking thing up on the wall as I'm standing there and start marking it. Stace comes up and says, you can't do that. I said, why not? She said, everybody will see who you're voting for. I said, I tell a million people a week who I'm going to vote for. How are these fucking 20-something senior citizens going to goddamn be the tipping point and I've gone too far now? And she was not polite. So then I'm standing there. So I just been put my hand under it and mark it and put it right in the machine. And off we go and get out of there. But it was it was like they were all going into this secret chamber over here at this little fucking card table. Anyway, but then we got out of there. Did I mention I got a leaf removal service? You did. 
Well, good. That'll be the next most interesting thing the people hear today. Why are they just trying to be boring? The state of wrestling. You know what? Here's the thing. In wrestling today, and actually, except for, I don't know, the most major in-ring occurrence, and I can't really think what the last one was, everything of interest on both sides has been shit that didn't actually take place on television. Vince McMahon being pushed out, Triple H taken over, bringing back stars that were excommunicated under the Vince administration. You could say that's on television because they're coming back on TV, but it's Triple H behind the scenes bringing them back. And it's actually more interesting to hear that he's bringing them back than when we actually do see the son of a bitches. And then in AEW, it's backstage drama, backstage fight, backstage argument. Who's going to sue who? What investigation has been done by Inspector Clouseau and Mr. Magoo? What actually going on in the business has been a big story that got everybody lit up, got social media ablaze, got people talking? It's all behind the scenes shit. If if the people didn't, the few that we have left watching our dear profession, if they didn't care enough to go out of their way to study our program or the websites or whatever the fuck and find out what's going on in the boardroom instead of in the ring, nobody'd give a shit, would they? What do you think? The wrestling ecosystem is a lot more interesting than the wrestling product right now. And I think you may not see it the same way because you were actively involved in the business and Smoky Mountain was a bright spot at this time. But as a fan, like the fall of 92, it feels like that right now. You know, Bret Hart got elevated. We'll see what happens with MJF. And I'm pointing those two things out because those were bright spots in an overall dry and dull period where... People got on TV that didn't belong on TV, and the booking of TV shows wasn't very good. This is right before Raw. This is the end of Bill Watts. It feels like that right now, fall of 92. 30 years ago, Bret Hart got elevated. 30 years later, who's going to get high? Anyway, I got a couple of emails. Get in line behind me. Don't worry, folks. We're going to talk about how uninteresting some of the wrestling was here a little bit later on. But I, as, as I said, I have a few emails from the people, the cult of Cornette. And one of them is from our friend and acquaintance, John Fell in Baltimore, who has alerted us to a milestone occasion. Jacked up Jeremy Bagley, longtime member of the cult of Cornette. Well, I've mentioned his unsavory parents before. The unsavory Bagleys. Well, Jeremy Bagley's father has turned 83 years old this week. I don't have a specific right. date Tov. on that. Is Mazel Tov happy birthday in, in your language? Congratulations in my language. Oh, okay. Well, Mazel Tov and all the bonus weenies to you. Uh, but he didn't say what the actual birthday is. But Jim Bagley, as a matter of fact, is what his name is. Jeremy's father is named Jim. I was named after Jeremy's father. About 23 years after, apparently. But anyway. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, that's true. 
He's 83. Happy birthday, Jim Bagley. Sorry your son turned out to be a disappointment. Hey, you, but don't say that. You can't have everything. I'm sure he loves and, his son and doesn't appreciate these comments from you. Well, on you his know, birthday. Most people love what they're responsible for and overlook their faults. No, Jeremy's he's doing good. He's he's doing good. Anyway, that's an no, and actually, also, uh, congratulations, or not congratulations, but thank you, Jeremy Bagley. Jeremy is a veteran. It is Veterans Day just a few hours ago, and Jeremy is one of the veterans in the cult of Cornette. So thank you, Jeremy, for your service to, to many of us that didn't deserve it. You all know who you are out there. All right. Um, got another email, and, and this is from the end of October, and I just saw this, and I wanted to recognize, uh, Tim wrote, and he doesn't say where he's from, but he'll know, obviously, when you hear this, uh, he says his last couple of years have been crazy. On Valentine's Day of 2021, his wife was diagnosed with uterine cancer and given two months to live, but she ended up living 16. And Tim says, I was lucky enough to be in a position to take care of her, and was there with her every day, and you guys and your show was welcome company. But before she left, I started school to become a drug and alcohol counselor. She died knowing that I wouldn't relapse, and I'd be helping people. On November 5th, it'll be my 10th year. You guys are still very welcome company. I'm doing it, but some days are a real struggle. And Tim, we just wanted to say that, you know, <sighs> she would be proud of you and keep doing what you're doing. And thank you for what you've done for her and what you're doing for other people. So some of the unsavory bastards we've got out there in this audience actually do do good for people from time to time. See, after emails like that, don't you feel like you have to put some effort in this week? Well, why? Nobody else did. That's true. But I'll give it a shot. Here, speaking of effort, somebody went over above and beyond here, and I swear to God, I saw this, and then, like I said, I was looking through emails yesterday and saw this email, but I saw what he's referring to. I don't know what, everybody knows I got the spectrum. It's kind of like having the COVID. I got the spectrum cable and the spectrum internet, and that means I got a spectrum cable guide. And when you flip down the guide, Brian, you know, it, it gives a description of the program or the movie or whatever you're looking at watching as you flip through the channels. Have you watched or have you read the description of AEW Dynamite? At least it was that way for my cable guide this week, and it was also that way for Ken in Greensboro's cable guide. Have you read the description of AEW Dynamite? I'm not sure. I think it lists the announcers, correct? Well, no, this is, this is the one I saw. When you hit info, here is the description of AEW Dynamite. Quote, the stars of AEW climb into the ring at the Aganas Arena in Boston. This past Wednesday. The audience cheers enthusiastically for the crashing throws, devastating jumps, and every final blow of the matadors without a single unenthusiastic face remaining. <laughs> What the fuck? Who wrote that? That is exactly what Ken and Greensboro said. Seriously, who writes this shit? Do you think these are Tony Khan's words or someone else's? 
And now, like Kenny Omega in an opioid stupor, I could see these words coming out. Maybe. And what? Do you think that's another job they've given him? Hey, Tony, he can pop the corn too, but prioritize. Is Twinkle Toes writing the TV guide descriptions? Matadors. Weeks ago. (laughs) I know several weeks ago, they actually, on my guide, AEW Dynamite was listed as the Rampage program from the previous week. And in a couple weeks later, AEW Dynamite was it was the old uh, you know what was the uh, sports league founded in 2019 bringing real sports statistics and analytics to uh, whatever the fuck that old one that they've had a bunch of times it changed but I have never seen anything like this and that I don't have that for the record I'm looking right now because I DVR'd the shows and I haven't erased the last few yet so for Dynamite I have this past week's show. AEW world champ John Moxley speaks ahead of his full gear match with MJF, Brian Danielson versus Sammy Guevara, Eddie Kingston versus Ethan Page, acclaimed an FT dot 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 dot. <laughs> well, what do you do? You have do you have satellite? Do you have cable? Do you have this is Xfinity? A fucking I don't know what that even is. Do you have a fucking Comcast. antenna on your roof? What do you Comcast cable? All right, well, I'm te- they're different. The guides are different. And sometimes, and I, I noticed that my DVR box in the bedroom is newer than the one in the TV room, and the description sometimes will be different for programs, even though I've got the same cable system on the different boxes. So I don't know, but it's it's worth, because every once in a while on AEW, you get a real fucking winner. It's worth uh, not checking out the program. Just see what they write about it on the cable guide. <sighs> anyway. I just deleted all the raws I had on my DVR. And now I'm at 58% full. That cleared up so much of this shit. Jesus. What else can I delete? Why are you saving raw? I don't save it. I just don't delete it. Why? Yeah, that, I can't wait. That is one of the most satisfactory things I do in the course of a week is when I delete one of these wrestling programs. Which one should I do next, Rampage or SmackDown? Which one should I wipe out? Wipe out Rampage. All right, bye-bye. The bye. network's about to. Bye-bye. That's 17 episodes of Rampage. About to say goodbye. Delete. Delete. Sorry, Matt Hardy. Delete. Off my TV. There we go. I now have 52% full. I think I saved... Uh... I saved an NXT episode where I think that was the rematch between Valter and Elia. That's the last one I've seen. Anyway. I keep trying to DVR Thunderbirds on MeTV and it didn't work. And then I thought it was because I didn't put replays and clearly it's an old classic show. It's on at six o'clock on, on uh, the Sunday morning. Yeah. Right. I recorded it on the sixth. I got to see if I record the next one. It's the only one that's recorded so far. And that's a little inside talk here on the show. Well, speaking of inside, if you want to come inside out of the inclement weather, come inside, hop on your various internet device, and go to jimcornette.com. I'm proud to announce that the final 300 or so orders that have been outstanding from our action figure backlog will be winging their way to the people in the next 10 days. Round by Thanksgiving, we'll be cleared up with that, and everybody's going to get their stuff they've already ordered for Christmas, and. If you hurry now, and I'm talking about real soon, you can order something from scratch and get it by Christmas too because the brand new Lazy Booking shirt 
goes on sale on Saturday, November 19th at noon Eastern time at jimcornette.com. Sizes small to 5X. And if you want to see what this bad boy looks like, we believe we have captured. Well, I should say, I shouldn't say we. Danny Williams at dannywilldraw.com has captured the essence of lazy booking in this design. And if you go to jimcornette.com right now, you'll see one of the banners on the homepage is a fine picture of this shirt. Uh, remember the I'm a Jim Cornette guy t-shirts will not be restocked when this supply sells out. So if you've been on the fence, jump on that. And if you've been wanting a pink and red raw debut action figure variant, we're down to the final 200. And for Christmas, if you're wanting Santa Corny's action figure to come down your chimney or whatever orifice you indeed might designate be the best for me to slip into during the holidays, well, there's less than 500 of those remaining. So Christmas shop right now at jimcornette.com. That's a little shopping tip. And then plus there's no, there's no horrible violence like when they let these doors fly open to these major retailers on Black Friday. There's there's no Black Friday or Purple Wednesday or Pink Tuesday or you can always low prices. I got the lowest prices in in wrestling memorabilia gimmickry and fandom. Cause I buy low and I sell even lower. I as a matter of fact, it costs me money to sell you, you fine people, each and every one of these pieces of products. So if you if you don't like me, buy more of my shit and it'll bankrupt me. That's how inexpensive it is. And the feather bottoms are waiting to give people a merry Christmas. You know, I didn't have the feather bottoms last year at Christmas. That's why I was mailing shit from the first part of October all the way to the middle of December. But now I got the feather bottoms, and it's going to be the first time in years that they've been able to give people a merry Christmas with their efforts to bring smiles to people's faces by getting them their merchandise by the holidays they haven't i don't think they've given anybody a merry christmas since it's been 15 years since they had to do that last community service around the holiday time so make the feather bottoms feel good order at jimcornette.com to your show have you made have you placed your order yet brian i have not for the lazy booking shirt, I thought you'd want to jump in and just send me a check and get the first one off the presses. Off the presses? No. No, no, no. Well, they do press those things. You know, the T-shirt, they press the, they, when they print them, they press them. So that's actually technically accurate. A T-shirt can be fresh off the presses. I'm going to be lazy buying. You're going to be lazy broadcasting here today. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've, I want to make mention of this because I've asked you and you don't know either. What the fuck is going on between this is a, a audience participation question. What has gone on between Nick Aldis and Billy Corgan? Because I've seen on the Internet over the last week or so, Aldis suspended by Billy Corgan. His contract is up in January. He will not be renewing. He's moving on. Big split up, big breakup, acrimonious things happening. Can't figure out what. And nobody, and the NWA has gone so far under the radar. They'd have to, I guess they'd have to be uh, on sonar at this point. But 
I haven't heard anything going on there and nobody said anything about it that I, on the websites that I frequent, which is basically only one or two. And now the, this big breakup and I, well, I wonder what all that's about. And then I see a headline. I think it was on PWInsider.com. One of the only sites I trust. And it says Nick Aldis explains his breakup or whatever with the NWA and how, okay. And I click on the thing. It's a fucking recording of a podcast is like an hour and a half long. I don't care that bad. So it, it, Brian, if you found out anything, feel free to pitch in, but elsewise, can the people out there tell us what the hell's gone on with this formerly beautiful relationship between Aldous and Corgan? Aldous and Corgan's, it's, it actually sounds like a fucking division of Roto-Rooter. Yeah, and again, a lot of people have either wondered what was going on or dismissed things as being a work because previously they've kind of done that whole, you know, I'm a mad at the man and I'm the man and I'm mad at the Wait, employee. You got, a, you got Italian again. I'm a mad at the man. <laughs> what the, who's Italian in this scenario? Hey, you know what? I'm getting called right now by a wrestling superstar, and I'm going to answer the phone and tell him that on the air. Hello there. I'm actually in the middle of recording right now, and you're going to hear this on the show, and you won't know that it's you that called, but I'll call you back. <laughs> there it is. I think I heard bleh, bleh, bleh from the other... Uh, what, whatever's the there side. will be taken out by the Sharknado, but people have thought it's a work. And then... Now people are thinking it's not a work. There have been people unhappy, I guess, under contract to the NWA. There's not a lot going on there. But, Jimmy, I have something here, a report that was filed for the Wrestling News. Nick Aldis just appeared on uh, the Not Sam podcast, and he cited what he described as the NWA's movement away from what he considered its original creative goal when Corgan purchased the brand in 2017, which was to provide fans with a product that was an alternative to much of modern wrestling. So let's stop there. Well, and and hold on, and I can chime in and say that's the way that uh, Billy Corgan and Liverlip Lagana were presenting it, not only to the fans, but also that's the way they pitched it to me. Hey, old-fashioned studio wrestling, not all this insane lunacy, giving the guys a little more freedom to go out there in the TV studio and do their promos and blah, 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 but a studio wrestling program. And of course, then that was pretty much immediately squashed both by their ill-advised choices in video editors and also the pandemic. And then I haven't seen anything they've done since, to be honest. Well, I'll continue here with the Wrestling News' report. Although he pinpointed the company's creative decline as starting when he lost the NWA title... <laughs> He made it clear he was not pressuring Corgan to put the title back on him and that it was a conversation Corgan had with Aldous's wife, Mickey James, in which he insisted that's what Aldous was doing, which convinced him it was time to leave the company. So let's stop there. If that's true, if the timing happens to be when he lost the belt and that happens to be something that isn't true, but Billy Corgan says it to the guy's wife, what about that? Well, yeah, well, and and also, now, has he lost it and regained it? Did he lose it again? Because I know they put it on Trevor Murdoch for some period of time. Did they not? Is he the current? Who's the current NWA champion? I don't have a goddamn clue. I don't know either. It may be Trevor Murdoch. Well, I don't think it is. 
Hold on. Good. I have no idea who the NWA world champion. Good job, NWA. NWA world champion. Go, go to the go to NWA. Is it NWA.com? What is their website? I don't know. I went to Wik- uh, Wikipedia. I have to find a list. Uh, their website doesn't even come up anywhere. But here's what I'm saying. I, I know that I think Trevor Murdoch, current champion. Okay. Well, at the same time, Trevor Murdoch and uh, Aldis had a good match and a good chemistry together. And I don't recall uh, any issues to where that they would have a problem. Aldis would have a problem dropping it. Trevor Murdoch. I think that's one thing that they did right was get the people behind Trevor Murdoch and one last run, one last ride or whatever. Maybe I don't know anything other than that. But um, at the same time, like you said, if if it wasn't about dropping it to Trevor Murdoch, and to be honest, it, looking at their talent roster besides Nick Aldis and Trevor Murdoch because they had the story built and it was right, who else ought to be the NWA champion? I don't know. But I don't think Aldis is a guy with a big problem about doing jobs like that. But if it, depending on what else... Corgan's creative direction was if he was legitimately, if he, too many pronouns, pal, if Aldous was legitimately upset about that, and then Corgan turns around and tells Mickey James, no, I know it's just because he wants the belt back, then yeah, that would piss me off too. I'm not sure that I would quit the whole company over it unless it, it, really is a situation with the creative direction. And since I haven't seen any of their stuff, I don't know what their creative direction has been. I know that the very last time that I talked to Billy Corgan in person, which was not long after the first taping we did down there at the the studio taping in 2019, and he came through Louisville, I pitched him a couple of ideas that I thought were good, not for myself, but for a couple of his talents on the car that I figured he could elevate. Aaron the Idol Stevens was one of them. And I can't remember who the other one was. And he and old Liverlip spent a majority of the dinner that we had, which, by the way, was at a vegetarian restaurant. I was trying to offer to take him to barbecue, and Corgan picked the vegetarian place. But they spent most of their time telling me that they'd found this fucking girl they were going to start featuring. And every third end of every third sentence was, and she's got these huge tits, but we won't say anything about that. So I think they were already going sports entertainment after the first fucking. I think that girl ended up being like, what? What? she came out as an announcer or manager not Greg Valentine. Her name was Valentine of some description. Greg Girl with the big tits. <laughs> not Greg, but another vet, not related. But um, but yeah, I think, you know, because Lagana sports entertainment is all that he ever was involved in. And I think Billy, I don't know what the fuck he was doing. But anyway. You know, you've never talked about it on the air. And I don't know if you will yet. Do you remember what the last thing Billy Corgan said to you? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're willing to reveal, but I always found that to yes, be the funniest I, yeah, thing. It was, it was funny because, again, Lagana, Dave Lagana, old liver lip Lagana, had been, I guess, two or three times he had called me and asked, what did you say on your podcast? 
What do you mean? What What did you say? Did you say this on your podcast? No, I didn't, Dave. Actually, I said this, and then I clarified it. Well, could could you not say that? No, I can't not say that because that's my opinion. Well, are you knocking AEW so big? Because we've found that on YouTube, there's a such and such percent crossover between the AEW audience and the NWA audience. So should you be knocking them? I said, no, I should be telling them to quit making stupid decisions. Just watch the NWA. What the fuck? They He thought for whatever reason that I was going to modify what I do in my normal real life for a once every two months part-time color commentary deal that I was doing for him as a favor for their YouTube program. And so the last, as he had been going on again, why could you take it easy on AEW? Because there's such and such crossover in our audience. And then Liverlip goes up to the front to pay the tab and Corgan says, don't worry about Dave. He gets like that. I've got your back. <laughs> and two weeks later, they air the program that Liverlip edited. And uh, Billy Corgan was on stage somewhere doing an acoustic rendition of I don't know what the fuck. And Lagana made it a goddamn giant controversy, pulled the thing down, put it back up, re-edited, apologized profusely for me. And the next week they lost, or the next set of tapings, they lost half of their YouTube audience. And that was uh, then. Uh, let's go to that. Because now the audience, I think, is even smaller. And yeah. if you're a Nick Aldis, and we don't know what kind of future he has. Because he's, I think, in his mid to late 30s. I don't know if he has someone in AEW or WWE that's going to go to bat for him and try to get him in there. So we don't know what the future holds for Nick Aldis. But it has to be frustrating being under contract to one of these smaller wrestling companies. Like an NWA or an MLW. Whose owners definitely want to do things, but it may not ever be happening. And you're kind of tied to a contract and you can't do shit. And your years and your days are just flying by. That has to be pretty frustrating. Yeah, and Aldous, at this point, he needs to do something now, like you said, you know, given age. And it's not because he's in bad shape, and I don't know that he's had major injuries, but it's just the you know, the level of, and I mean, in AEW, it, he'd, my God, he'd be working with the same kind of children Punk was working with. He has built himself and his image on carrying himself like a champion, like a professional. He's a big, good looking guy in good shape and he speaks well and he dresses well. And he was trying to be a serious world champion and have serious matches. So then you know, what's the uh, alternative here? You go to uh, AEW, you can make money, but you also have to work with the children and nobody takes anything seriously. Or you try to go to the WWE to make the biggest money and make one last run or splash. And they're age conscious because they're investing for the future because they know that their future is almost guaranteed in some fashion or another. So, but he's got to do something quick. And just the fact that, my God, even we don't know why the fuck he was mad at Billy Corgan indicates that that 
yes, Corgan had all the intentions in the world, but that ship has sailed. The NWA is not going to be as big as it was when I did their first fucking taping. And that, at that time, was supposed to be the beginning. It now looks like the high watermark. And the pandemic had a lot to do with that. They had a little momentum and a little talk. You know, but at the same time, Corgan was kind of hamstrung because Lagana was doing all the work. And not only does he end up fucking sabotaging me, but then he gets fucking popped for trying to stick his hand down somebody's pants in fucking California 10 years ago or whatever the fuck, and he's exiled to Never Never Land. And then there ain't nobody to do anything. So, you know, it... it it would have been wonderful if it had worked, but it didn't. And now, you know, Nick Aldis is probably thinking, God damn, my time is running out to do anything legitimate anywhere at this point. Well, speaking of being sure what's going on, we got an email from Kenneth that brings up an interesting question. <laughs> Hello, Jim. And I guess your presence is implied, Brian. In June of 2021, after 46 years of being in the professional wrestling business, Ricky Morton wrestled for the first time in Wyoming. That match checked off the 50th state that Ricky has competed in. For a man with such popularity throughout his lengthy career, why would it have taken so long to wrestle in Wyoming? What can you tell us about the long-forgotten Wyoming Territory? And actually, there is no long-forgotten Wyoming territory. Brian, help me. I mean, obviously, this would take a lot more research, and we've got time to do off the sperm of the moment here, but was Wyoming ever part of a territory in the old days? I don't think so, and I'm not sure because I'm thinking about it as you ask me this. I've never thought about this question before ever. I can't think of anything, though. Well, and that was what kind of made it interesting to me because I have never appeared in Wyoming. And so then I started thinking back in the eighties, my phone book, uh, and that's when God, nobody has these, these days. I'm not talking about a telephone book. The city sends you out. Most people don't even have those anymore, but I'm talking about my book that I wrote down everybody's address and phone number in your phone book. Every, uh, the other wrestlers, promoters, friends, relatives, Everybody in the old days, and I still do, obviously, had a phone book because that's what—that's the contact information you needed for everybody. There was no internet. You needed their phone number, which was a landline in their house or office, and you needed their mailing address. And back in those days, I'd get one every year, or I'd get an appointment book, a date book every year, as we've talked about. I've read through those. But I would keep the same phone book because I don't want every year rewrite everybody's fucking numbers, right? So what about those phone books in the old days, they had a map of the United States on the like inside front cover and it had all the area codes for each state. And so when I went to Bill Watts in Mid-South in 84, I clipped this map with the area codes out of my phone book and I started I taped it to the inside of my next year's book and started carrying it with me 
And I started marking all the states that I had worked in. And I quit this sometime, I think probably around about the time that I uh, started with the WWF in the early 90s as a talent, still in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, because I got a new fucking book and I never transferred this thing. But having said that, the answer to the trivia question or the question from the emailer was there was really no Wyoming territory because the same thing it's, it was, it's out in the middle of fucking nowhere. And at various points, States like Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and the Dakotas would be run by the territories that were on the fringes of them in some direction, right? Like in Montana, the uh, Stu Hart ran upper Montana in some cases. I don't know that it was regular. And I'm sure that um, at some point, Vern Gagne ran Wyoming or South Dakota or North Dakota because it was that's in close proximity to Minnesota. And the same thing uh, when there was a Omaha territory. Well, not Wyoming is the next state over and South Dakota is the next state up. I'm sure you got spot shows. But, you know, in all of history, there's never been, I don't think, any particular territory located that just serviced those states because there's only one or two cities. The driving distances are ridiculous. The weather is insane. I would think, especially as I'm looking at the fucking map, I've now got my Rand McNally out, so you can really get a fucking... <laughs> These TV markets, they can't even butt up against each other. Hold on here one second. T-U-W, Wyoming, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. Okay. You've got Cheyenne and Casper. And you've got a lot of other stuff. I don't know where the people in western Wyoming in the days before cable would have ever even been able to see television. Because there's there's nothing within a hundred miles of any of these places, so that's the thing is is that a lot of those territories, especially if they were hot at the time, the Funks West Texas territory used to also run way into New Mexico, but then you know Vern because he had the Midwest and they had a lighter schedule and could add major towns and flew anyway. They co-opted Salt Lake City in Utah and Denver. And, uh, you know, so it was it was kind of up in the air. But point being, I at one time or another, and this is what I want to throw open to the cult also, because one or two of these, maybe I hit with a WWF TV taping, and I never updated this, but I can't remember it. But I've never worked in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, North or South Dakota, or Alaska and Hawaii. I've been to Hawaii, didn't work. I wouldn't want to fucking work in Hawaii anyway, because the last thing I want to do in Hawaii is think about fucking wrestling. But, um, and Saskatchewan, 
I don't remember ever being in Saskatchewan. Otherwise, I've hit New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. Um, what's that other one out there? God damn it. Newfoundland. Um, Quebec, Ontario, Alberta, and British Columbia. Have you ever been to Saskatchewan, Brian? I have not, and I don't think I will be either. <laughs> but think about it. now, Alaska. I mean, for obvious reasons, was never a territory because what the fuck? There's, you know, again, you couldn't even in the territory days get probably reliable transportation to a lot of Alaska, and nobody was within driving distance and financially it would have been insane right to spread out over that big of an area that few number of shows you could do hawaii as we know was a territory but after leah Maivia got deported that kind of took the bloom off the rose and i mean still to this day does is there any major or even minor really independent wrestling in in that particular you know this was a question a, a couple of shows ago why didn't some promoter open up a dark territory anymore? Because there really, there wasn't anything dark, but these states are pretty dark. What do you think, Brian? Should we open up Montana? No. I mean, unless somehow there's a thriving, there's a way to thrive while driving to several towns a week and making lots of money, and I don't see that <laughs> as being a possibility. No. <laughs> All righty then. Is it a possibility that you can make big money when your TV ratings get cut in half? Did you hear about Young Rock? I did not, no. Apparently, now the wrestling business sucks so bad that people don't even want to watch sitcoms about former wrestlers. No, they, they changed the night last season. And remember, we talked about this. Young Rock was NBC's highest-rated situation comedy. And the, the premiere was seen by, I think, 5 million people, and the weekly shows were doing like 3 million. Well, this year, they change it to Friday night from, it was another weeknight last two seasons, and the premiere did 1.8 million viewers. It was on against SmackDown? And yeah, it's on against SmackDown. And and Rampage for whatever for all 17 of those people. So they have counter-programmed against the primary audience that would want to see The Rock on television and cut the audience in half. But That's promising though. Uh well it 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 could go even further. Um Jerry? <laughs> shows that NBC realizes that uh, you know, they shouldn't make bad shows a priority. They should try to find good shows. Oh, come on. It's not The Rock's fault this is a bad program. I'm trying to like it. <laughs> it's completely The Rock's fault this is a bad I'm, program. <laughs> I'm trying to. It just, looks, <laughs> it just looks like he just bops in and does his pre-tapes and then lets somebody else write the whole show because whoever's writing this thing don't know shit from apple butter about the wrestling business. Or comedy, or entertainment. Um, or comedy, or entertainment. <laughs> or various other things, yeah. Randall Park is fucking rotten. You know what? Here's the thing. Randall Park 
could actually replace Alex Marvez on AEW Dynamite, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. He's as phony as a football bat, too. But apparently, Rock lost the election because now season three is Rock has lost the election. The the guy named Taft is now president, President Taft, and The Rock hadn't been seen out in public in a year. He's just living his personal life. What's up with Taft? What am I missing there with the reference to, obviously, there was a President Taft before. Yes. What does that have this, to do with this, The Rock? This guy isn't fat. I don't know. It just, uh, they named him President Taft. Uh, but anyway, so Randall Park goes to visit The Rock, and The Rock starts flashing back again. After he quotes Teddy Roosevelt, he starts flashing back again. To his match with Rutherford B. Hayes. <laughs> Did you know? And remember, they started talking about this last year, but the way that Rocky Johnson got so much heat with Vince McMahon that he was not on WrestleMania 1 and indeed never came back to the WWF is that Rocky took a deal to wrestle that Afa the Samoan had set up in Saudi Arabia, but then because he was under exclusive contract to Vince McMahon, even though those didn't exist in those days, Vince was pissed at Rocky for taking that tour and called him in Saudi Arabia and said, I want you to open up Saudi Arabia as a new territory for the WWF. And so Rocky did. He bailed on Afa's Saudi Arabia tour, and he opened up Saudi Arabia for the WWF, but it was small time, and that was at the same time that WrestleMania went on, so you saw Rocky there wrestling in front of nobody in Saudi Arabia, and you saw WrestleMania going on. Brian? That's such bullshit. And presenting Rocky Johnson as anything like that is just so, at this point in time, after everything we know, is ridiculous. Did they run? So, but then, well, but then now, here's the, but the, the point of the fact of the matter is afterwards, at the WrestleMania, or the MTV party that they had after WrestleMania, Rocky saw Vince, and Vince said, hey, pal, why don't you take that knife out of my back? And then still exiled Rocky, what? even though he had opened up Saudi Arabia. For, did they ever run Saudi Arabia in 1985? Well, to be fair, and I don't remember exactly if it was Saudi Arabia or Kuwait, but they did run some overseas shows where they sent over wrestlers because that's where Jimmy Snooker got busted with all the drugs taped all around his body. That's right. It may have been Kuwait. I'm not sure. It, it may have been Saudi Kuwait. Arabia. I'm not sure if it was Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's why I'm Was Rocky now. Johnson on those tours? I will find out right now. Well, while you're finding out, I'll continue. So now, Rocky had unfortunately, he had screwed off of the Samoan who wants to talk to him about this, and Vince wasn't going to give him the time of day anymore, even though he had opened up Saudi Arabia. And in this episode, they really, Rocky is full of himself. Everybody mentioned the biggest continuity error vince mcmahon came into the mtv party where everybody was there you know celebrating their success with five o'clock shadow the guy that played vince mcmahon came in and he he looked like fucking bull curry i don't <laughs> and, and vince has never appeared in his living room without shaving much less in a at a public function However, 
Becky Lynch is playing Cindy Lauper, and she's fantastic. She's even got the voice. She took voice lessons to do that voice. And that was good. Now, Hulk Hogan, Lou Albano, Roddy Piper, Fred Blassie, none of these fucking people look anything like those people. None of them. But Becky Lynch is great as Cindy Lauper. Anyway, by 1988, over this whole Saudi Arabia fiasco, Rocky is wrestling in a car lot in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And the show ends with, in 1997, Rock Rocky being an unpopular babyface and hurting his knee. And continued next week. But this show is all over the... If you know the timeline and know everybody's life and who everybody is, you can follow the show. If you don't, then you're just trying to figure out what actor is dressed like what wrestling character and the time periods are all over the place and it's starting to get confusing. I'm trying to see what else I can find, but I got Rocky Johnson in Kuwait, March 15th, 85. The matches I have the results for are Jose Estrada defeated Jack Armstrong. The Executioner defeated Archie Reynold. Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch defeated Don Morocco and Tiger Chung Lee. And Pedro Morales and Rocky Johnson defeated Mr. Fuji. And, oh, no, excuse me. Went to a draw with Mr. <laughs> Fuji and the spoiler. Holy mackerel. That's wrestling in name only. That's opening uh, up Saudi in, Arabia, running that show in Kuwait. In, in 1985, poor, uh, poor Pedro had seen his better days. And I don't know about Archie, Archie Reynolds, but... That sounds like something they got a little bit of guaranteed money for and sent the bare minimum to. I I I guarantee you if that was if Vince McMahon and the WWF were behind that at all it was because those shows were bought and they sent them the bare minimum that they bought. Bought they when Vince McMahon needed money the most. Yes, they didn't fucking send those shows over there to actually sell tickets and draw. So, what about to open up the territory? I, well, how 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 open did that territory get at that point? Did they ever go back? <laughs> I remember them going to Kuwait in 1995. I understand and, it's the Montana of the Mideast. <laughs> yes, or the Saskatchewan. But I'm just I'm just telling you um they have now killed wrestling is so unpopular. They've now killed the ratings of the rock sitcom because there's not enough people to go around. The only people apparently watching the rock sitcom also want to watch SmackDown on Friday night. Good Lord. Would you have picked that? Would you have picked if, if somebody had had made a projection, for example, Brian, that this year, the rock sitcom is going to change nights and drop the audience going to drop in half would you have would you have have placed your your entry on that i think i kind of know what you're trying to say <laughs> and i'm pretty sure that I've, if i was given the opportunity to make a projection of whether i think the rock show would go up or down be moved to friday night i would probably say down and hopefully be able to win some money with this crazy projection 
Well, you know, and there, there's all things about the crazy projections and the daily fantasy sports and the player projections and the entries, and you're going more or less. Folks, this is not the unsavory type of activity that people used to do in back alleys back in the old days. There's no dice involved in this. You're not going to go to jail. No, no, no. This is fine, above board, upstanding sports fantasies that we're talking about here with our friends at Prize Picks. And Prize Picks are the king of daily fantasies because you can have one every day. That's the best thing about fantasies. You never run out of them. And you can make entries on Prize Picks and make player projections based on whether they will do more or less of the thing that they're known for. Now, say, for example, Cooper Cup. Oh, Cooper Cup, he's known to score touchdowns. Well, if you make an entry and take Cooper Cup to score more than one touchdown or less than one touchdown, and he indeed does those things, you, my fine fellow friends, will make money on that. It's all easily explained if you go to prizepicks.com because that's where you do it. You pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. And you don't have to worry about competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Don't worry about competing. Other people might beat you. But here you're just, well, you're playing a wall. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's and women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, eSports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, disc Euro golf. basketball, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, gladiator fights in the Coliseum to the death, and more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. And if, if, you're, if you're steady of hand and able of mind, you can do it even quicker than that. You can make safe and fast withdrawals. No need to pull a weapon on these people. They will give you your money when you want it. And they're currently operational in over 30 states in Canada. All you have to do is download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com and sign up to play. First-time users, bear this in mind. You can get up to a 100 or a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code JCE. So, if you deposit $100, PrizePix gives you 100. If you deposit 50, PrizePix will give you 50. If you try to take some out without putting any in, PrizePix will come and find you and kneecap you. So don't do that. No, they will not. Let's have fun with prize picks, but let's remind everyone they will be safe and there will not be any physical harm to anyone with prize picks. Well, Correct? just don't try, to, don't try to rip these people off and you'll find out. You'll find out that they want their money through legal means, but <laughs> I don't even know how this would work considering how prize picks works. I'm just playing with your little game here, but ladies and gentlemen, you don't have anything well, to worry you, about. If you, go, if you go and knock on prize picks' door and you say, hey, I want my money, they'll give it to you. But if you try to take money that doesn't belong to you, they will turn you away accordingly. Don't forget well, to enter the yeah. promo code JCE at your <laughs> sign-up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And, and you know, when there's high, high money stakes like this on the line, things could get violent. So 
make sure you got your shit together before you mess with these people. But if you hold up your part of the bargain, they'll deal with you fairly. No violence with prize picks. That's right. So download that prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com. Did we mention the promo code JCE? And you'll get up to a hundred dollars deposit match. Price picks. Okay, I guess we'll get to some of the wrestling for this past week. And let's go in chronological order. Last Wednesday night, AEW Dynamite. And we're not going to talk so much about the one foot in front of another of the matches and what so-and-so did and what so-and-so did in return and blah, blah, and critique the matches as matches. We're going to try to figure out what in the fucking Sam Hell's going on around here. And how come it is when Tony has one idea, he wants to do it four or five different times at the same time? Have you noticed this? How many people are going to turn on their partner or their father or their brother or their accountant or their manager or whatever the fuck in this, just in a calendar month? What do you, what do you think? What the, what's the prize picks on that? I don't know. It'd be hard to pick a number. I mean, some of these are just so obvious that they're coming, and then they come like the Samoa Joe Wardlow one. What's the point of doing it? if everybody... Oh, yeah, oh, you had to bring that one up first. So, uh, another I told you so. Which one were you thinking of first? Well, I'm... <laughs> I see that you can't, you can't tell. I'm thinking of Lee and Swerve. Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. Oh. They're going to they're gonna break up a team that's been together for eight weeks and had three matches. Somehow they've already won and lost the tag team title. Or it'll be a literal swerve and Keith Lee turns to the dark side. <sighs> now, hey, comments like that will get Keith you Lee becomes a heel. Excuse me. <laughs> so on this program, we, here come the guns, the ass boys. They've got Stokely and William Morrissey in their corner. And then here come Keith Lee and Swerve, and they don't do a fist bump. Keith Lee will not bump swerves fist and the announcers made sure to make note of that and then here comes ftr and they get a huge ovation for the most buried hidden tag team in AEW. and then here comes the acclaimed with a ton of applause and a big ovation because they're incredibly popular now so we got to figure out a way to do something about that and they figured out a way to do something, but they're going to have an eight-man tag team match that doesn't do anything for anybody. And to make sure that we know that Billy Gunn is still mad about being kidnapped and having his fingers cut off, apparently, with pliers by fucking dipshits, the, the um, Swerve. There we go. Billy Gunn runs out and tackles Swerve before the match starts, and B.J. Whitmer comes out and kicks Billy Gunn out of ringside. <sighs> Again, they're burying these teams in eight-man tags where, I guess, Tony's statistics fixation, they can say, well, here's another match in the win column or whatever the fuck, but it does nothing for anybody. It makes no sense. There's multiple issues going on here the guns and the acclaimed should be working tag team matches with ftr 
to learn something. Along with every other young tag team in AEW, they should be working tag team matches with FTR, whether on TV or on YouTube or whatever. And FTR should be winning every single one of them, except for the acclaimed, obviously, right now. And at the same time, these young teams could be learning something. But when you get an eight-man tag and FTR are trying to be the wrestlers and the guns are animated heels and they're just green, but they got a ton of potential. FTR is flawless at everything. Swerve is pretty good. The acclaimed are green as grass, but they've got size and personality. And Keith Lee is off and on. But this was the closest thing on the program to a wrestling match for the first part of it. And then they they got some heat on Dax, so that was good because he knows how to sell. And then he hit a hot tag that was actually a fairly hot tag on Bowens. And then we started going over the hump. because, And I'm not knocking Bowens, but how long have they been baby faces? And I would imagine that he hasn't made that many babyface comebacks at a high level, but it was, it was odd. He's doing the, the looping right punches and then the backhands like sting and too many strikes and not enough bumps by the heels. He's just windmilling these guys and they're just staggering around. And then the heels took back over and somehow the guns hit a big rig out of nowhere for a two count. FTRs moved the big rig. And then they have a four-on-four face-off and started an eight-way. And the referee was Mrs. Ed. So, of course, she was just staring. And it got sloppy, and everybody took a lot of bumps to the floor. And then... Keith Lee and the acclaimed tried something where it ended up with Keith Lee kind of powerbombing Bowens on Caster, who was bent over waiting for it because they got too fancy and it looked too phony. And then Lee and Swerve double teamed Bowens and Swerve dove to the floor on everybody. And then it, it... Basically, then they go crazy, and Dax superplexes one of the guns onto the pack on the floor off the buckles, and everybody lays there. All the momentum of the match is gone. So now, then they went from a big six-way or a big eight-way to everybody else disappeared so Dax and Austin could go one-on-one in the ring. Then everybody else ran back in in front of Mrs. Ed. Oh, Wilbur. And then Caster hit an elbow on the top, off the top rope onto Gun, one of the guns. FTR hit their finish on the other gun. Bowens pinned the first gun. And I'll be goddamn faggot ever even figure out at that point if Bowens or the first gun were the legal guys. And it, it should have happened. I couldn't even tell at that point. It the first half was a wrestling match. The second half was a mess, which usually happens in this company because they try to give everybody something to do, whether they're capable of it or not. What'd you think, Brian? I know it's no DQ matches that you call lazy booking, but isn't this lazy booking? 
Mm-hmm. The eight-man tag match with the teams that don't like each other, you just throw them all out there. It's just a big mess. For what it was, it was as good as it could be. I will say, for me, I think the guns stole the show. Yeah. I can't take my eyes off them when they're in the ring. They're constantly moving and doing things. I want to see more of them. I'd like to see them actually get the chance to be as good as they can be. Billy can teach them a bunch of stuff, but, you know, it's not like he's going to be working with them every night in front of 500 people in Oshkosh at a spot show so they can trash it out. And they could learn from FTR, but FTR never gets a legitimate tag team match or they would outshine the EVPs. And the guns are, are very good. But at this rate, it's going to take them, what, fucking five years to have 300 matches. Anyway, the next part of the program was the highlight in anybody's book. MJF, not there live in person, doing a VTR promo from the podcast, what was it, Pardon, Pardon My French? Or pardon my take, or whatever. Mama Cornette used to say that when she she would she would slip out and say a shit or damn or something like that. She'd say, "Pardon my French." To you, or anyway, to the general public. Well, to me, or to the whoever happened to be around at the time. But anyway, it was an incredible interview, and I want everybody to go back and watch this again. For one simple reason. Everything that he said not only made sense, it put the pay-per-view match over, it put himself over, it illustrated his goals and things he wants to achieve, but if you know that wrestling is a work, this promo worked, but if you didn't, nothing that he said outright made you realize that it was a work. And think about it, that's difficult to do. He didn't pander to the obsessive play wrestling fans that want to make sure that everybody knows it's all phony. And at the same time, he didn't insult the real wrestling fans that don't want the guys going out there saying bullshit, phony, stupid things. Everything he said there was enough truth in it that people know to be true. The old Jerry Jarrett analogy that when he finally did start working a little bit, it was seamless. You couldn't tell the difference. And he promoted what he needed to promote. And he didn't spend all of his time on Stokely and the firm. He spent his time on Moxley in his match and also talking about how he was going to get even for all the people that keep upstaging him. Every time he has a triumph, it's upstaged by a neck tattoo or Matt Hardy being brain damaged or, and he said, Chris Jericho stole the spotlight from me for a full calendar year. So he knows what was going on. He just didn't have the fucking cachet in the industry at that point to do anything about it now i believe he does and he wasn't talking like somebody that's about to switch babyface which we were all afraid of because of the jealousy over him being the exceptional performer in the company now and everybody trying to make sure that that doesn't go further so they can keep their spots 
This was fucking pro a promo. It was fucking great. And he finishes up at full gear. The devil gets his due. And God damn it, he better. Because Moxley's been fine for... He's got a name from the WWF. People around the world know him. The, that audience and fan base for AEW likes him because he's garbage wrestling-minded like they are. But I think MJF needs to win this thing and make them a real homegrown world champion that everybody's into, that they want to hear talk and want to see and want to be involved with instead of more of the same shit that we've had from Moxley for the last few years. He's never going to change. It's the same fucking thing. Let's see what MJF can do with it. That's hopefully my prediction or projection or pick. Okay. What do you think of this promo, young Brian? I mean, he's the best talker in the business. He is the biggest thing AEW has going for it right now. It's a little awkward, I would think, for the people in the studio because he's staring right at the camera while he's doing this and everyone else is just sitting there. But (laughs) that's another thing. I think we we all know that turning him babyface is a massive mistake, even if people just all show up and bring their babies and say, kiss my baby. They all love him. Whatever it is, it's a mistake. And then he looks down and he says, of course you want me to kiss your baby. It's the only time in the miserable, wretched thing's life that it'll ever have interaction with greatness. And he'd kiss the baby. You know, this interview is a great example. And we've seen like people keep sending stuff in of him doing various interviews all over the place. Out of everyone in AEW, if you do put the belt on MJF, which I assume they're going to because it's the only right thing to do, which may be a clue that they won't do it, but who knows, he could do publicity. He can go out there and do every morning show. He could talk to every radio show host, whatever it may be. He could do it. It's natural. It works. And no one promotes the company better than him. Who that does publicity for AEW ever promotes AEW better than him? It hit me the other day watching something. Well, and then also just to, to, for a new wrestling franchise to bring out its champion on a mainstream television program, and here's this young guy in his mid-20s, good-looking, well-spoken, intelligent, articulate. You can show clips. His matches are fucking great. Or you bring out this balding, haggard-looking fucking bum who people have seen on Twitter fucking rolling around in goddamn barbed wire and being bashed with light tubes and looks like shit physically and attractiveness. And he's 15 years older. I'll take you to a dark place and drink your blood. Yeah, you know. Crack your bones. You could, you could, a, a person who doesn't know wrestling could buy MJF as a young, successful professional athlete. Moxley looks like. Looks like Moxley, a fucking middle-aged, fucking balding, not impressive physically bum that does garbage matches. There you have it. Anyway, the but the only thing was, right after we saw the MJF interview, there's a video of Stokely wandering around Baltimore at night, pissed off at MJF. So there's going to be more involvement in the I'm thinking, okay, there's a wild card. Is there somebody 
planning that Stokely could get all kinds of heat by costing MJF the title, and then MJF could have, go after revenge against Stokely's guy. Against who? Against W. Morrissey? Yeah, I would also like to have both of my testicles pinned down to a fucking board and <laughs> hammered with a goddamn claw hammer, as well as see what I just talked about. But it makes me trepidatious. And apparently now you can say dick rider on television. Did you notice that? I guess it matters if it's one word or two. If it, Well, what about if it's a Christian name? Guy named, first name Dick, last name Ryder. Hans Christian Dick Ryder. <laughs> Hans Christian Dick Ryder. You know, um, <sighs> the Stokely stuff, like, I feel bad for the position he's in. It's just none of this worked. And we were somewhere in the middle of the first match, and I think one of the commentators said it, and I had forgotten. The guns are in the firm. I'd forgotten all about that. I just figured they were in this tag team feud. I forgot they were part of this clique or this uh, faction. I don't know. I hope this, this is the only thing I could kind of damper some of this MJF Moxley stuff. Yeah. And Stokely's a good manager. I wish he could get more talent in his firm, but I hope the firm is not very firm because the guns need to be off on their own. Nobody gives two fucking shits about w morrissey or the other page and what's the guy's name with green hair lee moriarty there you go hey does anyone feel like shooting something down at the harbor tonight yeah i'll go <laughs> i got nothing to do well they're having a tournament for a title shot and that's going to be a big deal and the first round match first first well, round match go ahead let me stop you they called it the title eliminator tournament we yes went back and forth the other day we couldn't figure out what was the title eliminator and what wasn't we thought well, it was that Moxley. was a that was a title eliminator match but this is a title eliminator tournament and they said this was the first match in the tournament i don't fucking know okay <laughs> what are you asking me for i thought maybe you heard something that i missed this week on the show I try to miss as much as possible. So the other page wrestled Eddie Kingston. In the corners, Page was Stokely and Kingston was Ortiz. And the other page won. Does anybody give a shit? You liked him at one point. Have you please changed your mind by now? No, I still think he's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And does anyone give a shit? Time will tell. I don't know if they do right now. I think out of all those guys in the firm, he's one of the ones people actually have been reacting to. You know, there was a groan when W. Morrissey showed up, fair or unfair. The AEW fans kind of didn't want to see him there. We'll see if he could change their mind. They're used to the gun club. No one cares about Lee Moriarty. He's the only guy in the firm that actually gets a reaction from the AEW fans, again, other than the gun club, like they would want. Well... And Ortiz is with Kingston because Santana's hurt, but Santana and Ortiz ain't speaking to each other anyway, so that team is done to begin with. So Ortiz was just now Eddie Kingston's second since they're friends. And look, I know Eddie Kingston's not Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything. Does it look like he's pudging out a bit more? I'm not going to say that, but what I was going to say is, despite anything that is, a, that is something that would cause someone to say, oh, Eddie Kingston, I don't know. They lost a moment. Yeah. They had over a year to try to figure out a way to capitalize on the love people have for Eddie Kingston. And he still gets a massive pop. And people still like him. And people still want to see him. 
and they just have never it's the most bizarre thing they did not capitalize in any way i mean it happens over and over again with different people but nothing i thought with him they would get something right we just and here's a, a good point you bring up this doesn't ha- in normal wrestling promotions it doesn't happen often it does happen but it doesn't happen often that somebody on the card just gets outsized over of, of, of their push and the people just say, Oh, we like this guy for whatever reason, an outside reason. Eddie Kingston was that players tribune article or whatever, or the acclaimed with the scissor me thing or the, whatever the fuck in other promotions, it has not historically happened as often as it has in AEW. And I think part of the reason it does in AEW is because this audience is so social media hooked up and things spread so quickly and they like to do viral shit or whatever. So think about it. There has been umpteen times that somebody over the last three and a half years on this roster has gotten over in an outsized manner of the level of push they were getting and they never do anything about it. FTR floated around as baby faces and heels and whatever, and with Tully Blanchard as a manager and blah, 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 and had great matches. But finally, as happens with wrestlers, good wrestlers, the fans start recognizing how good they are after they're exposed to it over and over. Unfortunately, over and over took quite a long time. And FTR gets over. They do nothing. And then the Bucks bail out on doing the right thing for business and putting them over in the rubber match, putting all the belts on them. So that's gone. That chance will not come again. The acclaim gets over with the scissoring thing. And you can say, yeah, they're using them, but they're eight man tags. And the fucking um, Kingston gets over because of the article. So they, you know, and I, yes, he did get in a variety of backstage fist fights, but that was months and months after that came about. Who else was ravingly over at one point, just at random on the show? And then the, there's been other examples of fucking Wardlow. Wardlow's the big one. And and he was as over as that, anyone in the company. Yes. And then they then they put him in a fucking angle with the goddamn security guards. Which would have been like if, if you'd have pitched that to Vince McMahon, he would have he would have loved it and probably gave you a raise because of the good rib. Good rib, pal. Now, what are we really doing? But yet, the people they've been pushing down our throat, and will soon again, Twinkle Toes and the Buckaroos are on their way back. Those people have been shoved at us and shoved at us, and they're less over now than they were at the start of the fucking program going on the air. But we can't get away from those motherfuckers. But the people that the fans start liking, god damn, either there's no plan or the plan is to make sure they don't like them anymore. Because in what world does it work? Oh, wow, they're really getting a great reaction. Let's keep them off TV. Or they're getting a great reaction. Let's not have them wrestle for a while. Or no one will hear them talk. Like, none of the options that happen make any sense. (laughs) And... Either it is because Tony has written all this down in his 
notebook somewhere six months out and refuses to change anything, no matter what outside forces dictate, or every time something like this happens, somebody that he listens to for advice somehow comes up with a way to bury these people and make it look to Tony like he's really using them. I wonder which is the case. Anyway, did you notice that Ortiz was looking a lot cleaner? He's lost weight. He's gotten better shape. He's groomed better. He's really, because before he was like the second coming of Pampiro Furpo, right? He's the only guy I've ever seen that had to shave his teeth. Well, remember, he lost his hair to Chris Jericho in that big well, feud. Well, yeah, but but now it's it's coming out and it's it's a little more stylish. But still the hair ever, I mean, he was, he was shaving his cheekbones on a regular basis, I know. And holy mackerel, I've never, I've never seen a guy with hair on his eyeballs like that. But you know, those people are out there, Brian. Are they really? I have not heard this, no. They are out there. I used to see some of them at the state fair when I was a kid. You'd go in the tent, right next to the fat guy was the bearded lady, whatever it may be. But now, folks, if you want to see her suit individuals covered with hair looking like Lon Chaney Jr. on a full moon, you don't have to go to a freak show at the state fair. All you have to do if you're a female, that is, is turn over sideways and look at the lump laying next to you. Men, we got to do something about all the the foliage that we got. And you know, it's Thanksgiving time. It's Christmas time. It's the holidays. People are thinking holidays, eggnog by the fireplace, a little candid photography, perhaps some nookie nookie. You never know what's going to go on on the holidays. But you don't want to look like a fucking goat or smell like one. And that's why our friends at Manscaped are trying to make your holidays jolly days with the Platinum Package 4.0. Folks, you can do your little drummer boy a favor and use the Lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. And if you care about your sack as much as Santa cares about his, you want to make sure it's nice and slick and shining and smelling good. The Platinum Package 4.0 has all the products from the best-selling performance package, plus the Ultra Premium Body Wash, the Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner, and the Ultra Premium Deodorant. All this stuff is not only premium, folks, it's also ultra. And you know what happens when you become an ultra man? Why, you can do anything. It's the best way to smell fresh from your Santa hat to your candy cane. Remember the Lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer with that LED light on it? It'll look just like Rudolph's nose flying through the sky, ready to come down your chimney or whatever tunnel or orifice or entryway, breezeway or otherwise that you would deem pleasurable. You got the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. You've also got the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop, Revi crop Reviver Ball Toner. See? see they don't provide the crop. Fast. Yes. They do not provide the crop. They just revive it. But those things can solve your stanky problems all day long. Folks, once they touch your sack, you will never go back. And for the perfect stocking stuffer, 
the brand new body buffer. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the lost cousin of Michael and Bruce Buffer, Body Buffer, will come to your house and he will buff your body right there in front of your entire family. If you go to manscaped.com right now and use the code DRIVE, you're going to get 20% off and free shipping on the Platinum Package 4.0 and the ability to have the runt of the buffer litter come to your front door and buff you off real good. And if you don't want your kids to watch it, well, send them, send them to the other room. Why would Body Buffer be the runt of the litter? He's the runt of the litter because Michael and Bruce, they're so much older and more established. Body's, he's still out there going from door to door trying to buff people. Do you remember the story about how Michael and Bruce Buffer met? I thought they were brothers. They say they're brothers. I mean, I'm not doubting it, but they say they're brothers. Apparently, the story goes, Bruce Buffer was watching boxing on TV and saw Michael Buffer and said, that guy looks like he could be my brother. And he got in touch and found out he was his brother. No, you're lying. I that's swear to God, that's a story, although they look nothing alike at all. How did, well, no, I've noticed a small resemblance, no, but how none. the fuck <laughs> did, were they brothers and never met each other? And now they're, they're both big time ring announcers. Well, I guess now Michael Buffer isn't a big time. Have you ever seen him in years? I think he's retired. I mean, he's an older guy. Yeah. So how did this happen? How did Body Buffer... No, I don't, how, how did, did what happen? How did, how did Michael Buffer not ever meet Bruce Buffer? I don't until know. Until they were grown-up adult, if they're brothers, if they're really brothers. I like what happened after that. They finally well, they got the same last name, so they one was not adopted or whatever the fuck. I don't know the full in and out of the story, but that's the story. And then at some point they met, and Michael Buffer said, "Wow, you really are my brother. Why don't you become my manager?" It's a weird story. No, Bruce considered. Buffer is a better announcer than Michael Buffer. Why was Michael Buffer the one to get all the platitudes and the allocades for, see, for all you '80s NWA fans? Because he uh, was because he was doing it in the '80s, and when boxing blew up. And so many of those big fights were happening. He was the ring announcer. It was Jimmy Lennon, and then it was him. I always thought Michael Buffer sucked pond water as an announcer. Bruce is great. He's got all the, the little mannerisms. Michael tried to be so cool, like he was above everything. Fuck him. Fuck Michael Buffer. He introduced Bret Hart as Bret the Hitman Clark. Bret the Hitman <laughs> Clark. Yeah, he couldn't even read his cards either. Well, speaking of oh, body right. buffer, uh, Manscaped you were talking about. I thought we did. Oh, manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping with the code DRIVE. So, folks, check your balls with howls of golly this year. Go to Manscaped. How does that work? Are you supposed to look at your balls and yell golly? Well, yes. <laughs> don't you? <laughs> I've had a variety of people when they saw mine went, golly. Do you do that to yourself, though? That's what they're saying. Well, every once in a while, it depends on what they look like. Well, speaking <laughs> of what they look like, the rest yeah. of Dynamite. Hey, Jim, what'd it look like? What'd it look like? Well, the next match, there was a guy. They just came up on the ring, and there was a guy standing in the ring with his butler. Not a buffer, but a butler. And doing a cheesy promo and, and the, it was like suddenly we were in an indie wrestling 
show somewhere and a guy dressed up as a butler and the other guy who is being buttled were giggling about it. Buttled? Well, that's, that's <laughs> if you have a butler and the butler does his thing, you're being buttled, right? Who's, you're being buttled by the butler? You're being buttled by the butler. Because the butler, butler's going about buttling. Well, if you're the one paying him and he's buttling for you, then you're being buttled. Right? I don't know. I really don't know. Well, anyway, we find out from the announcers, <laughs> it's Arya Davari. And then I realized it's Sean Davari's brother. I've seen him years ago, know that he exists. I didn't know he worked there. We have never seen him, to my knowledge, on this television program. But they opened up a segment with him standing in the ring speaking and his butler standing next to him. We would never seen either. And then the announcers have to explain it after the fact what this guy's name is. That's not good television. And apparently in the open TNT title challenge that Wardlow has put out, Arya is offering Wardlow his butler in exchange for a title or something. There was like a 30 or 40 second promo. And here comes Wardlow and shit cans the butler and beats Arya Davari flattered in four o'clock. And of course, then here comes powerhouse Hobbs. His music is playing and he's coming down to the ring, down the entranceway. And Samoa Joe is at ringside, actually in the ring now with Wardlow. And as Wardlow is waiting for Hobbs to come down and talking to fucking Hobbs on the microphone, some, he, Wardlow says, I'm going to win every title in AEW. And there's Joe standing there I get with, what is he, the Ring of Honor TV champion or whatever? Yes. So that was such an inflammatory comment that Samoa Joe comes from behind and lays Wardlow out with the fucking belt across the back of the head or whatever the fuck and chokes him out. The camera missed the attack, by the way. The camera had cut back to Hobbs walking down to the ring and then the announcers go, oh my God, and then they cut back and there's fucking Wardlow laying there at Joe's feet. So they knew they were going to do it and they still managed to miss it. And then again, Samoa Joe has just hit Wardlow, his tag team partner, over the head from behind. They've been a team for six weeks. <laughs> and <sighs> But then Hobbs is standing in the aisleway and telling Joe, I'm going to get you too. So who are we supposed to fucking cheer for here? The butler. The butler did it. Wasn't Arya Davari the leader of the Trustbusters? Was that him? Okay, now the Trustbusters sounds, were they on Rampage one time? Parker Budrow or Boudreau, whatever his name is. Parker Budrow, hey, no, no show Budrow. <laughs> so, again, let's recap. Swerve and Lee are about to turn on each other. Joe and Wardlow just did turn. Um, the Firm turned on MJF. The Gun Boys turned on their father. This is in two months. I know I'm missing some. Uh, so Wardlow, so again, I think you called it Wardlow and Joe to a teenage Mark 
playing Booker, you team two big guys up and then have one turn on the other and then they fight each other. And that's genius. And again, overlooking the fact that no turn ever makes a shit bit of difference on the fucking business, the ratings, ticket sales, pay-per-view, whatever, unless the people cared that those two individuals were together to begin with. And you don't make them do that in six weeks or eight weeks. Turns come from longtime partners or longtime friends that suddenly through a championship situation or whatever have to become rivals. There has to be history behind the interaction of the people in one respect or another to make you care that one guy then turns around and stabs the other guy in the back. If they've had three TV matches as partners, then have you got the impression that one of these guys is going to name his firstborn son after the other guy? It's Mark bullshit by inexperienced people and people that either aren't creative enough for their own good or don't have the knowledge that they pretend to have. <sighs> you know, you could have done, done something as simple as I'm the TV champion of Ring of Honor who has no TV and I'm the TNT champion, so I'm the TV champion of, of AEW. Let's feud. Instead, they were put together clearly just to break them up, and it was obvious, and that's bad. But even with that, the idea that Wardlow's doing this promo, and he says, I'm going to go after all the belts, and just that little thing triggers Samoa Joe to turn yes. on him? Oh, God, and now you've gone too far. What was that? I mean, it was just, it was a weird line for him to utter out, and then the reaction, it was just none, nothing with Wardlow since the MJF thing has been good at all. And the stuff with him and Samoa Joe just doesn't make any sense. <sighs> well, we were at uh, 50 minutes past the hour on the East, East Coast uh, of 8 o'clock. And in the ring comes Tony Schiavone with Dr. Britt Baker and Soraya. And again, Tony Schiavone, the interviewer of the announce team, Gets him in the ring, asks Soraya one question, and Soraya snatches Tony Schiavone's microphone, and Tony just wanders off and leaves him the ring. Just, But he doesn't even leave with authority. He goes over in the corner. He checks his earpiece. He's like, should I just leave? Somebody tells him, yeah, just go. And then this is supposed to be a face-to-face confrontation between Soraya and Britt Baker where they've got shit to say to each other and they're going to air this whole thing out and my this was the not only was this the most unnatural looking interview I've ever seen but Britt Baker who the one thing we've always said is the best promo of the on the female roster this was fucking brutal Soraya drug Britt Baker down to her fucking verbal level. Because they started off with the face-to-face by standing 15 feet apart from each other in this empty ring with not even old Grandpa Tony Schiavone to keep them apart if they're so fucking mad at each other. <laughs> then, 
And Soraya talks to the crowd and barely even looks at Britt Baker. Did you see where they were standing unnaturally staged away from each other and talking to the crowd instead of the person that they were upset at, that they were trying to fucking chasing and vent at? And at one point when Britt Baker starts talking, Soraya kind of comes up closer and looks at her, but then they start arguing over whose house it is. And they're screaming, it's my house, my house. It, and finally, Britt said, well, I built this place and I don't take walk-ins, so bitch, make an appointment. And the heel, Britt Baker, gets cheered for making that comment to the baby face. And Soraya answers Britt Baker by backing up and wandering around talking to the crowd again about how much she loves this business. I got hit by a car and wrestled because I love this business. Who cares how much you love the business? Nobody, except the small number of marks that that kind of line appeals to. Nobody cares how much you love the business, Chickadee. They care how mad you are at Britt Baker and how much you want to prove that you're the top girl in AEW. And if you got to go through the dentist to do it, then you're going to waltz her across Texas or something to that effect. Not go, oh, I love this business. And you should all feel now I'm cleared. I got hit by a car and I still wrestled because I love this business. Plus, I needed the 35 pounds. <laughs> It, it, they were trying to make Soraya a big baby face with this backstory, but then Britt Baker had the baby face lines. Soraya wandered around and screamed about all she'd done for everybody and finally got a pop challenging Britt Baker for a match at full gear where she said, I'm cleared. But by the way, did you see the clearance letter that she typed, that she tweeted out or sent out or whatever? The undated clearance letter? It, one line. Soraya is cleared to wrestle with no restrictions. And then she said, well, we're going to try it once a month. It's a star. Anyway, maybe she got Trump's doctor, the hippie from fucking Brooklyn or wherever that was. Signed, Dr. Mike Lano. Ah, there you Dr. Mike Lano strikes again. He's the clear, the clearer. Anyway, they got a pop with the challenge for the match. Then Soraya tosses the microphone down and awkwardly goes and stands by the ropes and Britt Baker's awkwardly looking at her, and apparently neither one knew which to go first, and finally Britt attacked her, but Soraya ducked, kicked her, and hit a modified DDT where she almost dropped Britt Baker face first on the microphone laying in the ring, if anybody noticed that. So that would have been the third broken nose, I think, for Britt. And she screamed, This is my house! And... Ten solid minutes for these two to kick Tony Schiavone out of the ring and scream about whose house it was. You know, it was good and bad. Because there were moments where I was like, wow, look at where this is going. You brought up Britt Baker usually does a good job. If you really think about it, how many good Britt Baker promos in front of a live crowd are there? Hmm. Versus how many are in the back? But I'm still pretty sure I've seen her be better than this live. But it was like the girl wouldn't get up in her face. There was no tension between the two of them. They were wandering around talking to the people half the time. The problem was the argument they're having 
Listen to what happened with the crowd. The heel, Britt Baker, started telling the truth and never lied yeah. once, and the crowd yes. got behind her. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? You were over there being a superstar. I was the one here from the very beginning, from the press conference, yeah. and I did all these things, and now you're supposed to come in here and say it's your house? How is this your house? And the people were like, yeah, you know what? She's right. And her answer was, I've done so much for everyone. Look at <laughs> everything I've done and everything I've been through. It's my house. <sighs> Terrible. And apparently she's cleared. Apparently she wasn't cleared when she got physical with Britt Baker on TV, and that's a whole other story. And let's that's, see what happens. Didn't they admit that also? They admitted, well, we, we weren't supposed to, but we just kind of said, well, let's see what happens. Because remember, they put out a story that Doc Sampson cleared her, and I'm thinking, no disrespect to Doc Sampson. I don't think that's what he does. Noted I orthopedic specialist, <laughs> Dr. Michael Sampson. I don't think that's his job to clear. He someone. saved Lawler from a heart attack. I'm not sure he can fucking fix Soraya's neck. Yeah, and it puts everyone in an uncomfortable position. Let's hope she really is well, and let's see what happens. I mean, the women's division has been a major problem. Let's see if there's anything that happens here with Soraya coming to save this house that'll change that. All righty. Um, up next. I would have been happy to watch Jay Lethal have a nice wrestling match, but we didn't get to see that. Trent is coming to the ring. Trent of the best friends, the Puddin' Gang. I just want to point out to you, because we'll talk about the ratings later, this was the 9 o'clock hour they did this. Yeah, it was. Which is bizarre. Yeah, it was. They tune in at 9 o'clock, and here comes Trent. Ha, 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 ha. And Lethal attacks him on the ramp and beats him up and beats him all around ringside and throws him into everything and then rolls him in the ring and the referee rings the bell to start the match. <laughs> and Lethal has now been put in a position where he has to attack a job guy from behind to get an advantage. So they have a match. Old Muffin Top Taylor showed up at ringside. <clears throat> That's what I have to say to you. Sanjay and the pinhead showed up at ringside. <laughs> to me or to Muffin Top Taylor? To Muffin Top. All right, we'll leave it in the show. And then Danhausen came down and, I mean, it was all, it was doomed anyway. Trent's not a bad worker. If, if, if I would have said, I need somebody to put Jay Lethal over, give him seven minutes, have a nice match, Lethal over with his finish, one, two, three, wouldn't have had a problem booking Trent. The attack beforehand... The miscellaneous comedy figures on the outside, the whole nine yards, it didn't do anything for Jay Lethal, and Trent is beyond hopeless. So, at that point, Danhausen goes to curse the pinhead, but that doesn't work, so he punches Sanjay in the nuts, and the pinhead headbutts Danhausen, and then Lethal beat Trent with his finish. So one of their best talents actually on their roster is surrounded by freaks and comedy bullshit and needs help to beat Trent. But wait, but that's it gets not worse. All. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but wait, there's more. So now here comes Tony Schiavone again with a microphone. I don't why didn't he just pitch him the microphone? And say you do it. I don't want to stand up. But there's Sanjay and Zippy and Lethal are doing a promo on the entranceway. And Sanjay, again, is too over the top. He's screaming. It's a nothing, no credibility has ever been given to Sanjay Dutt on this program that he's 
a legitimate force or factor in anything. And so he's just screaming and it's too over the top. And he introduces Jeff Jarrett. Now Jeff Jarrett, the second week in the company and Jeff Jarrett is now affiliated with all this comedy bullshit by association. Jeff Jarrett. And if anybody doesn't like Jeff, I don't give a shit. He's still a fucking name that people have actually heard of. And you're going to, within two weeks of him showing up, he's involved with Danhausen and the Puddin' Gang and being represented by Sanjay Dutt with a pencil behind his ear. And putting over Jay Lethal verbally when Lethal just needed all kinds of help to beat a fucking job guy. Jeff Jarrett will make no difference on in this program, on this screen, here or in this company, if he's associated with anybody here, opponent or friend, except for Jay Lethal, and it may be too late for that because they pretty much buried Lethal. He's a non-entity now, and nobody's going to take him seriously at this point. And then, just to make sure that it really sucks real big donkey cock, they make Jeff phony, too, at the end of this, because for whatever reason, they decided to show on camera, like they always do in every interview, one of the production assistants behind the camera wrapping Jeff up. And Jeff said, what are you trying to do, wrap me up? Didn't they do this bit like a month ago with somebody else? And they show the guy on camera wrapping Jeff up, and Jeff draws the guitar back and doesn't even hit him. The guy runs off, and Jeff chases him to ringside, and they go to the break. Phony as a football bat. So what... <laughs> If he did hire Jeff for an office job, I assume Jeff is like, well, I'll take his fucking guy's money. But he's got to know by now that he will be a complete non-factor as an on-screen talent because this is completely ridiculous. There's not a single thing that could be done to make Jeff Jarrett a factor on air. Fans do not want him in 2022 on this program, especially calling himself the last outlaw. All of a sudden, I he's dressed in a different way, and he's got his cowboy hat, and he's the last outlaw. I don't think... Because he's changing things up. <laughs> you know what? I don't think anyone wants to see this. And hey, you know what? I don't want to see him on camera either. I want to see him behind the fucking scenes being the head of talent relations to show Tony Khan how to keep the goddamn wrestlers in line. But if they're going to put him on the fucking program, since he is a better wrestler than 85 to 90% of the roster, and since he's a bigger mainstream name than 80% of the fucking roster. Do something to get something out of him. There is. I don't think there's that. I mean, that's the thing. I think he drives he people have, away. He, oh, come on. If, I'm serious. If these people will watch this fucking show, they'll watch anything. And Jeff Jarrett could have a better match with any main event talent in this company than any of the other main event talent in this company. He could have a better match with Danielson than anybody else. A better match with fucking uh, I agree uh, with you. Moxley than anybody else. A better match with anybody than anybody else. Pay him fucking 50 grand a week and say, just put everybody over from now on. Teach him something. 50 grand a week? Well, whatever. I'm just bringing him out every week, have him do a 20-minute job for everybody on the roster. Everybody would pay him for it, and everybody on the fucking roster would be a better wrestler. 
and they'd have a better match than they'd had in their fucking life. But it's not about the good matches. That's the problem. I think the way Jeff Jarrett's been then, used then over this his show career, isn't about good matches either. They don't ever have any. So let's teach somebody something. I just don't think viewers will accept Jeff Jarrett. I think too much has happened over too long a period of time that as soon as he comes out, the fans that watch all the awful shit in AEW that we hate, like the best friends. I mean, look at what they think of them. They're being used at the nine o'clock hour. The people who like that shit, even they groan when Jeff Jarrett comes but out. But they'll there. watch anything. You've just proven that. They're watching the best friends. They'll watch it because it's AEW. If they don't like it, they'll watch it to complain about it. People had the same reaction this week that I had last week. As soon as Jeff came out for this thing, it was like WCW and TNA. Yep. And I'm telling you, he ought to be running the office. But instead, they're putting him on TV. Well, if you're going to put him on TV, don't make him a fucking flunky. Try. And I agree with you in terms of his talent in the ring. I don't think he would have the best match with necessarily everyone, but I agree with you about his talent that he's an upper echelon worker. However, his talent, his value to AEW is behind the scenes in whatever role that is. If they're going to do house shows and have him be a big part of that, that's something he could really help with. But he's not helping the well, audience. I, I tell you what, you know, I, that might be the best job in AEW, one behind the scenes where you don't actually have to go out and fucking show your face on that show and admit that you're a part of it. Yeah, did we ever see BJ Whitmer before this week? Um, I think he was in a pull apart a couple months ago. Um, okay, Moxley and Regal were in the ring, and Moxley did a promo about MJF. And I'll just say this if you buy Moxley, this was great. If you don't, it was long and boring and the same fucking thing as always. Did I pretty much describe that? I agree with you for the most part. And I, I can't stand Moxley as a wrestler or as a promo. I just think he's ridiculous. But with that said, I think this was one of his better promos for a little thing. Instead of doing the usual, I'm going to crush your bones and eat your brain, or whatever the fuck he does, he stared at the camera, didn't move his shoulders, just stared at the camera, straight on. And said, I've been to dark places. You think you're rich. I'm a multimillionaire. Like, because he was looking right in the camera, we never see that. We see him wobbling around the ring, True. making all these crazy comments. And I thought that True. made it stand out a little more. I can see that. True. And yes, he has been to a bunch of unsavory places in Cincinnati. So, <laughs> is Cincinnati really that bad? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are places that you can go to goddamn Hattiesburg, Mississippi and get your fucking guts cut out if you go to the right place at the right time and say the right thing to the right person. But I don't know if it's goddamn escape from New York level bad up there right now. Anyway, the next match was Jamie Hayter versus Sky Blue. And you like Jamie Hayter so much. And I thought, okay, I'll give this a chance. And within 30 seconds, they were out on the floor running each other into the ring post and then getting right back up. The fucking girls, you can't be posted now and knocked out because the girls don't sell it. So I think Hayter won. Am I correct? Hayter won. And we forgot Sky Blue on our roster because she wasn't on the roster page. Well, I thought, wait a minute. No, there's, a, there's another Sky. There's EO Sky. That's which, right. That's another company. She's part of Kai and Sky. She's part of Kai and Sky. That's right. Well, all these people. So, and apparently now Ricky Starks is on the shit list. I, I, I was bumfuzzled at this. Yeah, he liked punk. They well, that's true. That's right. Son of a bitch. 
he was one of the people quoted in that article. Yeah, punk, big help to me. Well, we go to Officer Bar Brady in the back, and Lance Archer is standing there. He's going to do a promo, and Starks is on his knees beside Lance Archer, and Archer is manhandling him and cutting a promo at the same time, treating Ricky Starks like a small child. And when, from off camera, Starks' arm reaches up like he's going to try to fight back, Archer just reaches down and throws him headfirst into the fucking garage door gimmick and and says, I'm going to win this tournament for the title shot and walks off and Marvez screams, we need help with that much emotion. So Starks, now what the fuck? Why would you could do that to any job guy? I mean, it's overdone to begin with. It's completely phony. And Archer's been doing it since the start, which is why he never got over throwing around supposed job guys and production people and fans over the rail or whatever. But now you're going to treat Starks like a fucking dumpling? Like Mustafa Ali. He's the Mustafa Ali of AEW, the way they're booking him right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, and Brock just fucking pitched him over there. Or was it Lashley? Pitched Lashley. him over the goddamn Lashley pitched him over the goddamn deal like a fucking. So, <sighs> again, another guy got himself over. Good fiery promos, either as a heel or as a babyface. Turned babyface after the fans started cheering him. Bungled the feud with Hobbs, and now they're using him like this. This yeah. is a guy that could have been—I don't want to say a top babyface, but he could really talk. Fans are into him. He's into what he's doing. They could have done so much more with him. You know, and to be honest, since they broke his neck, that was the final moment because they brought him back after a while. I don't know if his neck was good because if, if you were healthy, there's no reason to only wrestle once every goddamn blue moon. But we never saw him for a long time. And then the whole thing with Hobbs and now this is... Uh, Maybe he, maybe he's hurt. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. They they haven't ruined a top talent. They've ruined an injured talent. But even if he's hurt, using him like this with Archer, with Archer again, Archer hasn't really been around. And even when he was around, we kind of seen his full potential. Wait a minute, he landed on his head too. Yeah, he did it to himself though. It was him doing a moonsault. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, somebody German Starks and broke his neck, whereas he just Adam Page Archer did a moon. Yeah, Adam Page broke Ricky Starks' neck, dropping him on his head. Whereas Lance Archer just fell on his own head. <sighs> a lot of head trauma on the part of the booker. And finally, we come to our main event. Two out of three falls Brian Danielson against Sammy Guevara with Ty Meloconti. And okay, I'll go for two out of three falls with Brian Danielson. And Sammy. Ain't bad when there's a veteran in there to calm him down and keep him from killing everybody. And this was an athletic match. And I don't know whether it kept the ratings or not better than what they've been presenting over the past several weeks. It probably should have Brian Danielson in the main event. I would think people be interested in that. But it was a match, I, you know, I certainly better than a lot of matches they have on this television. I don't know if it's a big old main event. But it was, again, 
Sammy's a full-fledged heel now, and he, you know, he still does all of his fancy stuff, but he's more heelish with his personality. But he uh, gets disqualified on purpose in the first fall, rattling Danielson with a chair. And then apparently, I don't know if that was supposed to get the juice and didn't do it, but then he gets the PA microphone and bashes Danielson over the head with it about 12 times. And when we come back from the break for the second fall, Danielson's bloody. And then Danielson finally hits his finish and evens it up, or I'm sorry, Sammy hits his finish and evens it up one fall each. And then third fall, Danielson big comeback back and forth. Sammy went for a backflip off the top rope and missed completely. Daniel Danielson had to reach out to the side and then just fall down. So of course they replayed that. Uh, and, but then the people, as they went home, the people were into it back and forth and trying for submissions or hitting moves or whatever. And right when Danielson gets the label lock and he, and he's, Try, Sammy's trying to fight out of it and Danielson's trying to fight to keep it and he really cranks back and my DVR froze which meant they were 30 seconds away from the end of the fucking show I assume Sammy tapped out am I correct in this? I believe so and now you're making me question it which is sad I don't remember the finish of the main event of AEW Dynamite but I think so well there you go um one of these days, they're going to go straight off the air without getting the finish in. But that was AEW Dynamite. I mean, it, you know, at this point, <laughs> Danielson and Sammy is a good match, but I was so fucking depressed from the previous hour and a half that, you know, eh, all right. You want to talk ratings? What are what are or were the ratings for this fine fiasco that they did the other day? Uh, let me get the overall number. The overall number, 930,000 viewers. Okay, that's a little bit down for their aggregate from last week, but did they start high and end up very low, or was it more flat throughout? It's pretty much anything... I'll put it this way. It's consistent with what's been happening... And it's something that anyone who's been paying attention to what's been happening could have pointed out this is exactly what's going to happen. Started off, 1,078,000 viewers for FTR versus the Acclaim. Was it? Yeah, it was FTR versus the Acclaim versus the Guns versus Swerve, right? Or was it? No, a, no, no. Is it eight man tag? Oh, eight man tag. FTR and the Acclaimed, excuse me, versus yes. the Guns and Swerve. 1,078,000. That's the high point. Quarter two, the end of that match, MJF's promo and the Stokely video. 949,000 viewers. Ouch. Quarter three, Eddie Kingston versus Ethan Page, as well as the Dark Order and Roosh's confrontation backstage, and Wardlow versus Arya Davari, 941,000 viewers. Quarter four, Samoa Joe turning on Wardlow and the Soraya Britt Baker face-to-face -face segment, 955,000 viewers, so they go up for that one. There, and, and by the way, there was, I'm sure, interest in what the girls were going to say to each other. Absolutely. I think that's actually one of the few things on this show going into it that people were curious about. Quarter five, the nine o'clock hour. Jay Lethal versus Trent Beretta and the Jeff Jarrett promo with Jay Lethal and Friends. 912,000 viewers. Quarter six, Jungle Boy's promo, Moxley's promo, 
and the Elite's mysterious video. 888,000 viewers. Ouch. Quarters. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention the Elite video. They show them disappearing in a puff of smoke or in flames from every clip they show, and I'm just wondering if that can be their new gimmick. They just show up, they get introduced, and they disappear in flames. <laughs> I'll watch that. Always the victims. I think that's the gimmick. But quarter seven, Jim, Jamie Hayter versus Sky Blue, as well as Brian Cage and Dante Martin having a video, and the Lance Archer attack of Ricky Starks. At the beginning of the main event, 854,000 viewers. Uh. And finally, the end of the two out of three fall match, Danielson versus Sammy Guevara, 861,000 viewers. <sighs> They're driving people away from this show each and every week. People start out, and they say, I've seen enough. Well, I tell you what, I think they need some help. Maybe they've already got help, but I think they need better help. You know what? I think all of us could use a little better help. And folks, by the way, this show, not only this show, this episode, but many of these shows are sponsored by BetterHelp. They are brought to you by the fine folks at BetterHelp so that you can get better help. That's why they are a sponsor of ours. And right now, if you go to BetterHelp.com, that's H-E-L-P, you will find that what we've been talking about is true. It is easy to find a therapist, to switch therapists, to find somebody to talk to. They have not only the largest online therapy service in the world, but they have professionally licensed and vetted therapists that are available 100% online. It's affordable. And whether it's a career change, a new relationship, becoming a parent, any of life's challenges that are hitting you right now, it's normal to feel stuck. It's normal not to be able to figure out what works for you because life doesn't come with a user manual. So they can help you manually. They're very manually dexterous. And they can manually help you learn productive coping skills and figure out the cause of your challenging emotions. So once again, as the world's largest therapy service, they've matched 3 million people with professional Therapists, they can do the same thing for you. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with somebody. If things don't click, you can switch to a new therapist anytime. No waiting rooms, no traffic. You can learn more and save 10% off your first month's services by going to betterhelp.com slash JCE. That's betterhelp.com slash JCE. Boy, I tell you what, Brad, if you or me came with a, a user's manual, an instruction booklet, I wonder how many pages we would have in our particular manuals. 18. 18? You've, you figured it out? I figured, I've been thinking about it. I want 24. Why? I don't know. It's just an even number. Are you including like a blank page at the end just to even out the pages? Well, that's for notes. Oh, good thought. That's for notes. Good idea. And, but... Life ought to come with an instruction manual, but then again, you probably wouldn't be able to read it because, goddamn, we got our brand new thermostat on our brand new air conditioner and furnace in our brand new remodeled room. And it'd been me, Stacy, a contractor, two carpenters, and Harley Quinn, and none of us can figure out how to work that fucking thing. Sounds like you need someone to talk to. I need somebody to come over here and fix my thermostat. That's what I need. Well, we can't get that from BetterHelp, but you can certainly have someone to talk to. 
That's right. If you're hot or cold, call somebody else. But if you need somebody to talk to, call BetterHelp. Well, actually, don't call them because they don't have a phone number, at least not one they've shared with us. Go to the website, betterhelp.com slash JCE while you're at it. I wonder if they give their home phone numbers out. Absolutely not. Well, Brian, now that we've got all that information imparted to the folks, what's going on in the world of the wrestling news and Arcadian Vanguard this fine week? Another fine week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter, at Super Podcasts, or on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. Of course, also on YouTube, youtube.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. Few notes, the wrestling news every day, covering the wide world of professional wrestling and bringing it to you for free with a daily newscast, minus any opinion, just the facts. Dragnet would have approved of this podcast, <laughs> The Wrestling News. Hear it today at TheWrestlingNews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast, look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News and get your wrestling news, news you can trust every single day. Cleaning woman Clara Clifford discovered that kleptomaniac Claude Cooper from Cleveland was the one who copped the clean copper clappers kept in the closet. It was a good performance by both men that day. Yes, but what else are you doing? <laughs> I don't know how you want me to follow that. You all of a sudden start doing bits from fucking old television shows. Anything else? Have you watched any Jack Benny lately? Yes, as a matter of fact, wow. You got the whole Jack Benny thing going in your early press photos where you have the three fingers on your face. Oh, yeah, the whole Jack Benny thing. It was very, very useful to me. Of course, also this week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon. This week's guest, popular 605 super podcast guest, Vandal Drummond, Kurt Brown himself. This week on Shut Up and Wrestle, a fun, fun conversation. People have been raving about it. Lots of Dr. Jerry Graham stories. Hear that today. SUAWpod.com. Or look for Shut Up and Wrestle wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast. I don't even know if I can do this with my throat. The Mothership! There are so many people in the house with no idea what just happened. <laughs> Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Something in the works. Stay tuned. But the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership. Well, speaking of mothers, it's time to get down to the mother of them all. The big SmackDown event. The highest rated wrestling program in the world today still left. SmackDown. And I saw the ratings over. It only it, They're down to like 2.1 or 2 million people. So did you ever think, Brian, that we would get to the point where the highest rated wrestling program in the world, 2 million people, on network television, we did twice that on TBS at 6 o'clock on a Saturday night 35 years ago. All righty, but I've, I'm about to tell you why they do these ratings. Because the opening contest on this past week's SmackDown for the Tag Team Championship was the Usos against the New Day. Never before seen. We've never had any interaction between... Is this the only thing they ever do? There, we, we figured out there's four teams. If you throw in the 
brawling, battling brutes and the shushers, these four teams interact with each other every fucking week for 30 minutes. And this time they were fighting over who the longest reigning tag team champions would be because Usos have got 483 or 484 days. Remember when that would have meant something? Think about this. How many title defenses in 484 days have the Usos had versus how many title defenses any tag team champions would have had in the course of a year in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s? Is this because now you... And somebody's going to say, well, the pandemic. They started running house shows again about a year ago, right? Or maybe a little more. But even still, they were what they, these guys are working three or four days a week. And if that. So shouldn't there be an asterisk beside these records saying, well, actually, when Demolition were champions for 400 days or whatever, they had 482 title defenses, counting TV tapings and double shows on Sundays. I don't know. Usos a new day. 30 minutes later, it was over. What'd you think? I think I'm not watching the new day. I can't stand them. So I didn't watch this. And that's, we're trying to watch SmackDown. At least it's not three hours like Raw, right? But they won't let us. After that match, Roman and the rest of the bloodline congratulated the Usos and then said, now we need to handle my business tonight. And we didn't see Roman again for about an hour and 15 minutes. The next match was Shaky Nakamura against Pablo Escobar. And they went about two minutes and went to the break. And then they came back and it's Nakamura and Escobar. And finally, Escobar won with a sloppy what the fuck off the top rope. And we were... 50 minutes into the what are you coughing are you choking the sloppy what the fuck off the top rope got me well that's the technical term for it (laughs) the sloppy what the fuck because i don't know actually what the fuck but it was sloppy 50 minutes into the program those two things a veterans day package which was one of the highlights of the program and vince that that stuff meant a lot to vince by the way really seriously not bullshit Martin Luther King Day, Veterans Day, things like that where he could, you know, do packages or recognize people or show patriotism or whatever. That really did mean a lot to Vince. So they're still doing stuff like that. Then, L.A. Knight is in the back and he's doing a heck of a promo because he can talk and he's got the confidence and he's back as himself now. I mean, he, Max Dupree came out looking like a beaten puppy because he knew it was bad and he knew it wasn't him. And he, even with all the oomph he's got, he couldn't bring himself, right? Now he's fine, but he's distracted by a video on the screen behind him in their little set. And he turns around and, and turns back around and comes face to face with Bray Wyatt. And Bray Wyatt speaks to L.A. Knight and says a bunch of stuff. But again, Brian, I think you will, you'll testify for me. 
He never actually came to a point, but it sounded good while he was saying it. And then L.A. Knight said, why don't you go back to your romper room and play with your puppets and stick them wherever gives you pleasure? (laughs) (laughs) Good one. It's L.A. Knight's game. And then Bray Wyatt just headbutted L.A. Knight and walked off. Killed the whole thing. Because that was phony. And are they going to be working with each other now? And I have a feeling I know who'd be doing that job this this quick in Bray Wyatt's return. I don't know. Then they had a number one contenders match. A six-way girls match for the number one contender spot with no disqualification. Lazy booking. Liv Morgan versus Raquel Gonzalez Rodriguez Mascaris versus Lacey Evans versus Zia Lee versus Cruella DeVille versus Shotzi Blackheart with her tank. And obviously, normally, I would not watch this. But you, Brian Last. I begged you to watch it. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> and I'm trying to get you to remind me now why I like you. Why are we friends? What have I done to you to just... It was like a wrestling school battle royal. Because it was a six-way the whole time. Most of the work looked like shit. They fought on the floor more than in the ring. At points, a lot of the girls would disappear for long stretches. So two could do something. Then they come back at odd, just like the guys. And it went on forever. And at one point, finally going home, Raquel set up a table on the floor at ringside, then got up on the stairs that they had put next to the table. Then was it looked like she was trying to pick Cruella up for a powerbomb, but she had positioned a table on the floor and then got up on the steps and was had her back to the table so she wasn't going to be able to powerbomb Cruella on anything. And she had just turned her back on what she herself had just set up. And the reason for that, obviously, was because so she could be turned the other way, so she could catch little Liv Morgan, the little pixie, the little sprite that she is, coming off the barricade railing, with a cross body so they'd all go through the table. Except that Liv didn't make it all the way to Raquel for the cross body. Raquel caught enough of Liv's weight to drag her forward. Cruella got lost in the shuffle and just crumpled to the floor and everybody fell down to the floor and missed the fucking table. And the only... (sighs) Raquel... We've liked in the past, and she's got something, but this was a goddamn mess. Liv Morgan is irredeemable, as we've mentioned. Zia Lee, eh. Zia Lee's Cruella, great. I love Zia Lee, and it always looks like she's ready to kill someone, and I think she well, almost and it is. looks like she is, yeah. Cruella, love her look. I'm not sure about her work. Shotzi, the tank, the green hair, the she's a hat on a hat. She's got 18 gimmicks. Lacey Evans, out of this whole match, Lacey Evans can work, can talk, was given an inexplicable build by Vince, then was 
canceled off the show as soon as Vince was gone and has been in hiding, I assume, because they would bring her back and just let her be a a wrestler and get over somehow because, goddamn, she got size, she's got everything. And the only girl that really has anything and everything in this match got beat by Shotzi's shitty DDT. So, Lacey Eva, remember you said last week, which one was worse? They were burying one person or burying Lacey Evans. I said, they're not burying Lacey Evans because she ain't on television. And that's the best thing after what she's done. Get her off TV, bring her back. So now they bring her back to actually bury her on television. And give her credit. Just like we said with Austin Theory, if this is indeed what they're doing, she looks great every time she's out there. She looks better than she ever did before. And she gets beat. And she gets beat by Shotzi. And that's another one that I... I'm going to be curious how fans take the Shotzi. She's been there a while, but you never really hear about her. And now they're going for it, it appears. Well, she had a toy tank. Now they've given her an actual full-size fucking tank. And now her former NXT boss is in charge. So yeah, we'll see what happens here. Uh, but anyway, and by the way, she went in the back after the break and was doing a promo. And Rhonda and Shayna Baszler came up and grabbed her and choked her out. <laughs> so... <laughs> See, Rhonda and Shayna as the bully girls, I believe, completely. I can believe that. But I I don't know if if you put a fucking girl that ain't over, over in a match to get her a title shot, and then within five to seven minutes, choke her out and leave her laying. Couldn't they wait until next week? I don't know. Just just a thought. Remember Gender Mayhall? Jinder Mahal, yes, we have. Yeah, well, when was the last time we saw him? I don't know, and I didn't. I didn't look when he was available for me to see, but he's back. And they're going to have the SmackDown World Cup tournament. A lot of tournaments too going on. And he wants to win the World Cup and the Intercontinental title. He came out and said, "I want to be the Intercontinental Champion." It's nice for you to set your sights low, Jinder, because you ain't going to make that either. Because then here came Braun Strongman, or Brown Strowman, whatever his fucking name is. And <laughs> and they had somewhat of a match. And here's the thing. Everybody is in the, or Braun, Brown, Mr. Strongman, he's in the news lately, as we mentioned at the top of the program. Another guy, not because of what he's doing on television, but because of behind the scenes. Because now everybody is saying he has nuclear molten magma level heat with the locker room, with all the guys, because he keeps tweeting. What was it he tweeted last week? Yeah, all these flippy floppy guys doing their flips and everything. And then the strong man comes in and makes all the money or some shit. And it, the criticism may be valid, but the source is not. Because, yes, we talk about all these guys doing too many flips now to slow down. And they're actually, while I'm on this subject, it's more interesting than SmackDown. There was a piece on Twitter, while it lasts, uh, this morning that I saw that said, well, a lot of guys didn't like CM Punk in the AEW locker room because as soon as he came in, he started giving them advice and telling them to slow down and telling Tony how things should go. And, well, how dare he? <laughs> Say all that, and they didn't want to listen. 
So somebody was, if you're a fucking college professor and you walk into goddamn romper room and you see that the nursery school teachers are teaching the kids the wrong way to behave, you might think, well, maybe I can help out and nip it in the bud early so these six and seven-year-olds or five-year-olds or whatever they are don't get any bad habits. But those five-year-olds know too much, and they don't want to listen to that college professor. Well, it's the same thing here. Yes, all of you flippy floppy fucks ought to slow the fuck down and extend your lives and careers and make the business a little more credible again instead of your goddamn cheerleading routines. But of all the people who have the fucking experience, power, pull, cachet, or opinion in this industry to say that, Braun Brown Strongman is not one of them. And no wonder they don't want to hear it from him. He's a big, jacked-up fucking meathead that wandered into wrestling. And just like a lot of other big, jacked-up meatheads that have wandered into wrestling over the last hundred years, he was overpaid and overpushed because of his size. And also because of Vince McMahon's fascination with giants. And that's not say that he can't draw any money or can't fulfill any position in the wrestling business. But you see by the fact that they fired him a year or two ago because he was making a couple million bucks a year, he will never be worth that much money to this company. And I bet you he came back for less than he was making before because he didn't get any other takers anywhere else that were going to give him a full-time job. He tried to start his own promotion, which is he bailed on as quickly as he got a fucking nibble elsewhere. Yes, you can take a big fucking empty-headed klutz like this and you can make money with him in the wrestling business. And sometimes through no fault of his own or no help of his own, you can make money with him in the wrestling business. But that doesn't give that because he's guaranteed money, doesn't even have to draw it. And because of an accident of birth that he's born this size, that doesn't give him the goddamn justification to critique other guys who have spent more time and money and effort and pain and agony and blues paying their dues and working and et cetera and going through indies and blah, blah, blah to get to where they are. They don't like to hear that. If it's Bret Hart telling them something, they ought to listen. Bronze strongman. <laughs> so... Big boy, I got to tell you. And then, by the way, and then he tweeted, well, I was just joking. Nobody can take it. That's because the way you tweet, it looks like English is your second language to begin with. You're not that bright. You're a big, jacked-up, fucking 375-pound steroid freak that used to turn over trucks and car tires in your strongman competition that you yourself said made you no money. That's why you got into wrestling. So you've been rewarded for your freak of nature size and your marginal wrestling ability. You've been paid millions of dollars a year when guys that could outwork you and outtalk you and outthink you have never made anywhere near that amount of money just because they were born 6'2 and 250. And if you'd been born that brown, you'd be parking fucking cars. So 
Criticism may be valid, source is not. If I were you, Mr. Strongman, I would quit fucking knocking the boys you got to share a locker room with because you might be able to learn something from them. Most of the guys in the WWE have been highly trained. Or you might just be able to get along better without any of them x in your fucking chocolate chip cookies if any of them have any hair on their balls like the guys used to do in the old days. But anyway, speaking he, of, say again. I was going to say he is over, though. He got a big pop when he won. Well, yes, because he's a big fucking jacked up monster guy. So they need to use him that way and see what they can get out of him. But he need I'm hearing he like he's a guy that likes to get there late and leave early. And that doesn't get over in that environment. The warrior. The warrior, and he's got an attitude problem, and he doesn't realize how lucky he is. What talent in the real world does this fucking guy have? Not one that we've seen. So settle down there, Brown. You'll be all right. Just do what you're told instead of what you think you ought to do. You know, there are people who think Jeff Jarrett was referring to him in his promo on Dynamite this week. How I okay make that connection for when me. he was talking about WWE clearly when he talked about the banana nose circus or whatever he called Triple H's WWE. Oh yeah, banana noses circus. Yes, but he said something about uh, giants and skinny jeans or skinny red. Well, whatever he said, it was something that was a lot of people seem to think he was referring to Braun Strowman. I don't know, maybe Braun's more unpopular than we thought. Anyway, so that was that. And then, God damn it, they took a match away from me I really wanted to see, Brian. I wanted to see Zelina Vega against B-Fab, worse than a sick man once penicillin. Me too. Me too. And God dang it. God dang it. So Skid Row does their entrance. And I got to be Hit honest, row. they are... Huh? Hit Row. What'd I say? You said Skid Row. Yeah. That's Sebastian Box Group. Or oh. it used to be, at least. Okay, well, we wanted to see Skid Row, but instead we saw Hit Row. And I got to be honest with you, they are certainly convinced that they are over and important somehow. When they come out, they are exuding in themselves. They are just protruding. Wow, are we great all over. Problem is, ain't none of them great at anything. Top dollar dancing looks like a manatee in a sweatshirt. (laughs) <laughs> the fuck is it just there's parts of it it's like fucking what was that the the physical therapist they used to have in the WWE Dr. Francois Francois, Francois Petit. Petit Francois, Francois Petit. Petit he had the accent like that he's, I think he's a French and he, he used to talk about Mick Foley he said Mick you're like a whale your bones have no structure he said that's how Cactus was able to take those bumps that his bones moved around and were malleable in, instead of being like a set skeleton. They just kind of moved everywhere. And uh, I think Francois should get a hold of old top dollar. He could fucking put him back together three or four different ways. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Anyway, so it's supposed to be Zelina against B-Fab. But before the bell, because we still haven't seen B-Fab wrestle, I don't think. And boy, I can't wait to see that. And there's a big height difference there, too. I was so intrigued by this. Well, yes, and one's five feet tall, one's six foot four in high heels and whatever. 
But before the bell even rings, the Viking Raiders come in from behind and attack, and they have a horrible fight with... I guess the, the Vikings were fighting the the B-Fabs, or the uh, or B-Fabs bunch, and I guess Zelina just got out of it because she didn't have a particular interest in that. And then the Raider Viking Raiders' new girl leveled B-Fab, and then the Raiders flattened everybody else, and the girls' match was canceled. Oh, boy. So now we got the Viking Raiders, and uh, yeah. I loved those guys as a heel tag team before they went to the WWF and were made comedy figures and then fucking Vikings and or Raiders. They ought to be the Oakland Raiders. Are you ready for the main event, Brian, of SmackDown? Oh, of course. Who wouldn't be? Well, that was it. As far as a match, Zelina Vega versus B-Fab was the last match booked on this SmackDown. This is network television. As usual, because they have no matches that interest anybody, and they make the ones that they do have completely unimportant and skippable by only doing two minutes and going to a break and blah, blah, blah. The main event on this week's SmackDown is the Bloodline in-ring promo with Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman, because we saw the Usos at the top of the program for half a fucking hour. So now they're going to come back out with Roman and Solo and Heyman. No Sammy. No Sammy. That's another thing. No Sammy. And by the time that, honestly, they walk to the ring, the entrance is so long, and by the time that Roman Milks acknowledge me, there's eight minutes left on the fucking air before they've done anything. And Heyman opened it up and put the Usos over and blistered New Day a bit, and then Roman takes the microphone, and it looked like he was about to acknowledge the Usos and their their momentous occasion when here comes from the entranceway, I'm not shitting you, Ridge and Butch. And they interrupt. And we didn't come alone. We brought back up. And here comes Seamus. Goddamn, we've... This is like Bobo Brazil and the Sheik, only they did live events across the country for 30 years that weren't televised. They didn't do it every week on fucking TV. So there comes Seamus. But his microphone was fucking up, which Roman goddamn made fun of. Said, you can't even work your microphone. How are you going to whip us? People laughed at that because it was funny. He handled it well. He had to address it somehow. Yeah, and so the brawling brutes just get in the ring and everybody gets started fighting, except Roman just watches. And then when the Usos and Solo take over, here comes Drew McIntyre. Well, we've never seen these guys interact with each other before. Drew McIntyre again. They got 150 people on the roster. We see 12 every two-hour program. He has a big fight with Solo. Roman gets on Drew. Then it's Sheamus and Roman, and everybody's back up. And they go off the air fighting. If the baby faces were more interesting and or more over, there wouldn't be anything wrong with this necessarily, but it's the same fucking people. It's like, you know that Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar are so far uh, ahead of everybody else on this program that nobody's going to fucking really 
nobody's going to beat either one of them except one or the other. Nobody's going to touch them. Maybe Bobby Lashley can put that in there. Logan Paul with an asterisk. He'll, he probably won't wrestle for another six months. He's already hurt himself. And everybody else, it's these goofy gimmicks and these, you know, bad names and these clownish outfits all interacting with each other at the same level and nobody gives a shit. And this is from the company that used to have more stars than there were in the heavens. Just like MGM. And they need stars right now. Randy Orton's out. Who knows if and when he'll come back. Cody Rhodes out. I think every estimate was it'll be at least until early next year before he can come back. Maybe January at the most optimistic. Hey, the the most fun, most interesting horse race next year may not be the Kentucky Derby. It may be CM Punk and or Cody Rhodes to the finish line at, at the Royal Rumble. Very interesting. We'll see. We'll see if he can get out of that AEW contract. We don't know what's going on there, but... Oh, I have a feeling if if Punk just says, well, my lawyer will be in contact with you unless you give me a few million dollars and I'll be on my way. I have a feeling that'll be the the, uh, dissertation on that one, but... But if that happens, that's a while away. So we're talking about there's three potential main eventers who are not in the picture right now. Austin Theory... I don't know, two months... Royal Rumble's in two months. Austin Theory's a guy that needs to be elevated, and they seem to be doing it, and then they've just beaten the shit out of him over and over and made him look like a putz. So, I mean, I don't know. They, they, feel- need, they need Orton. They need Cody. They need Punk. And, I mean, I would say they need Theory. Theory is, they need him for the future, but right now he's completely meaningless. He started mean something. They backed up on that, but it's still, Theory is the best raw in-ring talent for the future amongst all of them, Cody, Punk, et cetera, because he's the youngest. He's got all that way to go, but they need stars now. They need names now. They need experienced veterans that are seen as top-level talent by the fans now, and they have very few of them now. If you're WWE, do you have the same value on Wardlow now than you did a year ago? <sighs> well, yes, because here's the thing. <sighs> right now, Wardlow does not mean what he meant a year ago in AEW. He doesn't mean anywhere near it because he was red hot a year, nine months, whatever the time frame was. And now it's blah, they've killed him like they've killed off a lot of the other folks that got over on their own with their booking. But the WWE doesn't look at whether a guy is over now. The WWE looks at that guy and what they can do with him in their program in the future. And I would think that they would be confident that they could do, my God, this is not even making a a compliment, but that they could do a better job of pushing Wardlow as a single superstar than AEW has. I don't even think that's even in question. Uh, But so they don't, they're not going to worry about how the guy's previous employer has bungled the fucking job. They like that guy. They like that talent and what they can do with him. So I would think they would still be interested it wouldn't be a as big of a shock right now if he left AEW and joined WWE because he's not as as over in his current environment. And the big shock comes when somebody really over in their current environment suddenly jumps somewhere else. 
well, this wouldn't be a case of that, but if you were WWE, would you be interested in Nick Aldis? I think I would. Yes. Not only for the fact that he's still in shape and he's proven that he can work and carries himself well, doesn't have bad habits outside the ring that a lot of people have, but also Europe and the United Kingdom and et cetera, that's still an important market for the WWE, much more important than AEW because they actually go there, the WWE. They actually they run stadium shows there. So you can only get so much out of Drew and Seamus. We need another jolly old Englishman or somebody from that part of the world. <laughs> is that what he is? A jolly old Englishman? Jolly old Englishman. All right. Then he's set up naturally for a feud with the brawling brutes. There you go. Who gets the Dickens Cup? Is there anyone else out there that you can think of? Someone who the contract may come up in the next year or two? I mean, beyond an MJF, because we've discussed that over and over again. But who else is out there that you think WWE could grab? I mean, Braun Breaker's in the system, but he's still down there for some reason. Well, and I know they don't want to rush him because they know that's that's the golden goose eventually. Because MJF is going to be huge, but MJF would lean more toward the Piper spot than the Hogan spot in the WWE hierarchy. They're always still going to want a guy like Braun Breaker to be that fucking guy. And Braun Breaker will be the guy, provided he doesn't get hurt. If he doesn't get hurt or sentenced to fucking prison, Braun Breaker will be the top star in the WWE in X number of years. Let's look at our list in AEW. Who else is there they could take that would mean a difference in the WWE? Brian Danielson. You know, that would be a doesn't mean as much. It doesn't mean as much today as he meant a year ago to AEW, but to the WWE fan who doesn't pay attention to AEW or just knows of it and doesn't pay close attention, yeah, it is a main event caliber guy coming back. Then it becomes how they use him. Well, and that's that's why I was going to say that would be an interesting situation because we got to remember the WWE fans. For whatever you want to say about either company. 70% or more of the WWE fans do not watch AEW. So they they might just think, remember when, who was it? Somebody saw him in the airport, Kurt Angle, when he was with TNA. said, what are you doing now that you quit wrestling? And that was when TNA had half a million more viewers than Dynamite does. Um, Danielson could make a difference because of the nostalgia factor. He's over with that audience, who, what he's meant there before. We just mentioned Punk. I, you know, Moxley, would Moxley make a difference if he went back to the WWE? I mean, I know he wouldn't because he won't get to play with his felon friends and they probably don't want him except to, for the other company not to have him because he's obviously a pain in the ass creatively. But what did Moxley mean as a single, as an individual, in the WWE before he left. I think Moxley could mean something. And again, I'm not a big Moxley fan, and I would think if he was in the WWE, he wouldn't be able to get away with as much stuff as he has in AEW. But he is still a member of the Shield. So you still have someone who is a natural setup for a feud with Roman or Rollins at any point until they retire. So for that reason, there's something there. All right, and we mentioned Wardlow. He would prosper there. Miro... Is Miro still in AEW? 
soon as he straightened up and became an ass-kicking beast, he disappeared. And then we heard, oh no, he's just acting. And then the thing he acted and came out and he still hasn't come back. Yeah, apparently they're shooting fucking Roots again. It's a multi-part series. Um, he would work in the WWE. He wouldn't be a top guy, but he would work. And then, I mean, after that, Claudio just left. There's guys that would work on the roster in the WWE. The Gun Boys, at some point in the future. Billy Gunn already has. Darby Allen, no. That would never... The size issue could not be overcome, I don't think. And also... Well, hold the fact on. You, that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but... Same thing with Rey Mysterio, people said. And I know they're not the same wrestler, but the size issue comes into play. If WWE treated him the way they treated Rey Mysterio when he first came in, he is something special. Even though he has this small size, he uses it as a weapon. You don't think they can make it work? Okay, but hold on here. Boy, this is one case I wish we weren't doing radio and actually had video. You look at a publicity picture of Rey Mysterio physically, body-wise, from his days in, say, the late 90s in WCW and early 2000s in WWF. And then you look at Darby Allen's physique today. Ray was shorter than Darby and jacked to the gills. <laughs> Darby is a little taller than Ray and has to run around in a garden hose to get wet. He's so thin. Plus, what I was going to say was even more, is probably even more of a stumbling block in the WWE. He obviously, I don't know whether Darby Allen's getting any direction being given any direction, but if he is, he won't take any, obviously. And if he's not, he might very well bow up under it because the first thing they would tell him is no more of these goddamn goofy stunts you do unless it's something that we booked and that we're shooting for video and to promote you with. And no more of these goddamn just goofy off-the-cup things where you just fling yourself every which way in these matches, because if we're going to make an investment in you, we need you to hold up your end of the bargain and protect your body and take more calculated risks. And that's not what Darby Allen's all about. I don't think he'd make it 15 fucking minutes in the WWE. I don't think they would particularly like it. I don't think he'd like it. Um, you know, again, powerhouse Hobbs, they would take him. He would not be a main event guy, but they could certainly do better with him than what's been done. Um, I'm looking at, because I'm looking at the list of people that we kept and discarded when we went through the AEW roster. And even, you know, the people that I was on the fence about, I mean, you know, I don't know that they would make any difference in the WWE, nor would the WWE want them. The the tosses, I'm trying to... Jake Hager flunked out of that program. Matt and Jeff Hardy, they don't want them back at this point. The only... Uh, I don't see anything. And then the, the, the joke crew... Um, no, the only one that's even ever been out of the joke crew in that system was Colt Cabana, and he flunked out of developmental. They didn't like his attitude. Uh, and then there's the the EVPs and self-trained trampoline cowboys that even though they've been used in a position there, I would not want 
on my roster because they're trouble either personally, behind the scenes, politically. Uh, WWE made an offer to Twinkle Toes and the Buckaroos just before Tony Khan started this company so that a billionaire wouldn't have access to them. I don't think now that they've seen what the company is that there's any way in the world the WWE would want the Buckaroos, want to put up with their fucking egos or their smarmy little faces. They'd be a joke next to every other tag team they've got on the roster, physically. Don't ever forget, it's still WWE. They would still sign talent to hurt another company. And if WWE thought signing the Bucks and Omega would hurt AEW, they would do it in a heartbeat, just like they tried to do at the beginning before it even started. Well, the offer might be a little lower than what it was before now that they've seen what AEW looks like. And I think they would sign Twinkle Toes. I really do. And I think that they would quickly have nervous breakdowns trying to teach him anything or get him to do what they want him to do. And I think that he would end up with Heyman. That's the only thing they could try to do. Well, no, I think that he would end up probably having a nervous mental breakdown because the rest of the locker room would crucify and chastise him until he went out of his mind because he's a weirdo and he wouldn't get over there. It's, he's like a, one of those, you know, kids in the advanced classes that get special attention from the teacher, he wouldn't be getting that in the WWE because he wouldn't deserve it and everybody, nobody gets it. And the other guys would fuck with him and he wouldn't be able to take care of himself or put up with it or whatever, and he would be out of his mind. Adam Page, bleh. Um... They might want Dino Douche because of the body, but then they'd put him in developmental and then they'd figure out that's all they got. Oh, I forgot. They did and they did. And he did. And they did. And he's been out of there. So, and you think at this point Jericho's coming? He just signed a 10-year contract anyway. Jericho wouldn't be. So there's nobody in the company that they want to steal. Really? Oh, boy. What about tag teams? Well, obviously, FTR would be the, I won't, don't want to say only, let me think about it. They don't want, the WWE would not want the acclaimed right now because they're too green and they're too young. Uh, they wouldn't want the, well, the gun boys. They would want the guns if Billy was part of the package. They would want them if Billy was part of the package and they probably would prosper better there. And that's probably where they'll end up. But right now they wouldn't be going after the guns because they're green. Um, they just got rid of Keith Lee. They don't want him and Swerve. They just got rid of Swerve. Um, FTR is the, the one tag team in this company. I mean, obviously, <laughs> if you ever see Penthouse and Felix in the WWE, you better goddamn pinch yourself, people, because you're having a fucking acid flashback. The only tag team in this company WWE would want would be FTR, and if the WWE were smart, they would be going after them hot and heavy because their tag team division is dismal right now, as we've just talked about with four, maybe five teams, and none of those teams can really work with every other team. They all have different styles, and I don't see a lot of complementary styles in the WWE tag teams, but FTR can work with anybody. The only problem with FTR they lay out such complicated finishes because they think that everybody can hang with them and they think they can lead people through it. 
and they're doing much too complicated shit with people that's over their heads. Otherwise than that, they can work with anybody. So of any tag team in AEW, FTR is the only one I think that WWE would be in it, and I'm sure they are, because they're watching their work, and they're seeing that they're over, even with no push, not, a, not just no push whatsoever, but an anti-push. We're going to try to do everything we can to hold them down, and the, the AEW fans still like them. So imagine if now that there's somebody new in charge, it's not going to make them wear Dr. Seuss outfits or whatever. And the WWE audience is three times at minimum what the AEW audience is. And they can go in and shake up the whole tag team division. If I was the WWE, I would be contacting somebody that might know when FTR's contracts were up, Cody Rhodes. If, don't say that. You're going to get someone like Cody Rhodes in trouble. You're going to get someone well, in just, trouble. They, you've got somebody's phone number that ought to know when some of these contracts are up, Cody Rhodes. So for, I'm for just Stop saying. that. For the record, there are plenty of people there who have FDR's phone numbers, I would assume. Well, and, but a lot of people might not have been involved in high-level espionage in the AEW business office, Cody Rhodes, and know when Boy. <laughs> some of these <laughs> contracts are up or what some people are mad at or who some people are mad at and how some people feel mistreated and kind of things to say to appeal to those people who have been mistreated and held down and pissed off by other people's actions. Brandy Rhodes. I'm just saying. Anyway. All right. We'll see what happens. But uh, what was that? That was just, I guess, a talk about what potential main eventers. That was just a talk is. about what we were talking about. No, but that's, I mean, it's an interesting look at what potential people there are for WWE to plug in because there are people that feel like dead weight on the roster, people that feel like they've been there forever. There aren't that many options. That's the sad thing. This is what happens when you destroy everyone else's companies. <laughs> and then you're left with nothing. Nada. Kaka. Bupkis. All righty. Speaking of Nada and Kaka and Bupkis, are we done here? Yes. Folks, we are going to definitely try on the next program to have more entertaining conversation, but we're getting no fucking help whatsoever from these wrestling promotions. I think next week we need to talk about movies or something. Well, of course, on the drive-thru, we'll get help from the listeners. It'll be their questions. Oh, boy. So we got that to look forward to, huh? Yes, we do. Talk about from... The wonderful from listeners. The, out of the frying pan and into the fire. It's your show on the drive-thru. All right. Well, it will be your show in a few days, and then it'll be my turn again, and we'll see what we can come up with. And if you have made all the comments you care to make, then I will close us up. I have made all the comments that I care to make. <laughs> in that case, I have done all the show I care to do. Thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. My mom's basement
in his own backyard And this is shit everyone should get Well everyone except Jim Cornette Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Who needs women for hanging round in bars When you can watch the Bucks get seven stars the Bucks turn seven stars Dynamite's the word Best ever tag team division Haven't you heard? We've got Jericho Orange Cassidy and Michael Rio Like Tony, I do fantasy booking A title tournament, now we're cooking all the way Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom Don't come in Go away I'm watching wrestling Go away I'm watching wrestling oh, This is wrestling heaven don't listen to Cordy, he hasn't been relevant since 87. He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick, or that Bobby Eaton could hold a candle to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no man, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Miro. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself again? No. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch this show Elser says I'm in the key demo